This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good Friday morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side, and it is Good Friday. So when I say Good Friday morning, that's what I mean. Happy uh, Good Friday. Good Friday, for those that don't know, is a Christian religious holiday commemorating the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and his death at Calvary. The uh, The holiday is observed during Holy Week. Good Friday is a widely instituted legal holiday in many national governments around the world, including most Western countries. Some countries, such as Germany have laws prohibiting certain acts such as dancing, horse racing, that are seen as profaning the solemn nature of the day. So don't dance. Don't dance. Happy Good Friday. I don't know if you say happy, but Good Friday. Um, It's also Waffle Day, (laughs) to contrast. uh, So from the spiritual to just the gluttonous, (laughs) happy Waffle Day. Waffle Day. Uh, I'm not into waffles. Are you a big waffle guy? They're just pancakes with texture. (laughs) I've never heard it put that See, way. See, I, I, I prefer the waffle because they're able to hold whatever covering you mm. would have put on the pancake. Yeah. You, you get more pools of, of if it's like jam or jelly or something or if bacon. you put syrup or bacon, you got little pools of bacon it pockets. instead of it's just sort of smeared and runs off the side. It's a great – so that makes it more portable. Yeah. And it's it's crunchy, which is a plus mm. for me as well. Oh. Are your waffles crunchy? Mm-hmm. Yeah, mine are usually soggy. Mm. To each his own. Soggy waffles. Some people have fried chicken on it. Ooh. You ever had that? No. But <sighs> yeah, no. Dang it. it. I question the mix. It seems kind of yeah. like, really? Chicken but, and waffles can't. Okay. It's, I mean, it's. I think you can put chicken with anything. I think fried chicken's good, yeah, with anything, <laughs> but apparently. Then what do you put? Like a, what kind of, do you put a. Whatever you want, Matt. It's your mm, world. Like a. A little barbecue like a sauce gravy? Do you or put a a gravy, biscuit gravy on. You it? do whatever you need to do just to get through the meal. Ah, <sighs> enjoy so the bliss. The bliss. Hey, uh, Gary Shandling died. He did. Do you remember him? Yes. He was big time when I was growing up. Johnny Carson. He was on there all the time. He'd fill in every once in a while. He was very like introspective. Always a little depressive. It's he's the guy that made me want to go into like therapy, in a way. Hmm. He's just sad but hilarious. And he'd fill in for the big guy, for Johnny Carson. Um, that's sad. They don't know how he died. They didn't announce what was the cause yeah. of death. But uh, 66 years young, mm. passed away. Hey, also, we got to talk about this. Wife wars, mm. it's continuing. Uh, the battle between Donald and um, Ted Cruz continues. I came in like a rain. I don't see how this helps either of them. But Ted, well, Ted is nobly defending his wife. Yeah. And then I think it was an MSNBC reporter's like, so? Did are you going to support Ted? Are you going to support Donald? After he's like he's a coward, he's a weakling. Yeah. Great. So that's good. Are you going to support him? Absolutely. And he says, I won't have to support him because I'm going to beat him. I will win the nomination. But it just continues. It, it's At some point, 
I mean, even the thing that seems crazy to me for Donald or any of them is you need the female vote. You need that vote. You're going to win or lose by the women of this country liking you or not liking you. And it seems like they don't care about that because it doesn't seem like you should be offending each other and sending pictures and making jokes about someone else's wife. Yeah, (sighs) it seems like there's a line and it was crossed. But, I mean, that's just what Trump's done from the beginning. He just started crossing off whatever line and seeing how far he could go. So if you're Ted Cruz, do you – I mean, you have to say something. But I I don't think I would give it any more press than that. Look, we know Donald's methods. We know – and then you throw a dig in there. We know he's a coward. We know he hates women. Anyway, I'm not going to talk about it anymore. And then now he, I think now he just needs to move on. Yeah. Let he, his, he's, he's defended his wife. He's, you know, said, don't mess yeah. with my wife and kids and just let it go because it'll just continue. Right. Trump will not stop. Ah. Uh, because he, he, I guess he gets the last word, he wins. Yeah. In his mind, and then he's done, and then he can move on. And he, he's blaming this super PAC that, yeah, Cruz doesn't have, you know, connection with, and then you could follow that up with allegedly because super PACs are kind of weird. <laughs> but, uh, and so Cruz may not have commissioned it, but people that are supporting him put out the ad that Trump's offended by. So it's all kind of weird. See, yeah. The super PAC could be next door to Trump's campaign headquarters and he'd have no quote unquote connection to it, but it's next door. Not, not that it is, no, but I mean, but, that's how the rules yeah. work. It's super PACs are weird. They're, yeah. It's the new. It's the new rule. That's the, law, the, the laws make it so it's kind of it, you can you have no connection with them, but there might be some sideways backdoor sort of mm-hmm. communication that's not not happening. Well, but, through your weird brother-in-law. There you go. You can have yeah. It's so as a friend who knows a guy that's in the super pack, and it's weird. So, but hey, Cruz says he had nothing to do with it, and no. Trump doesn't believe him, right? Because he's lying, Ted. And it's interesting too because the, the hit was trying. They were trying to sway conservative women in Utah, so what better way to do that than have a picture of Melania that's maybe not conservative. Right, and then say, do you want this for your first lady? Yeah, man. (laughs) Um, Okay, so speaking of first ladies, what about first daughters? So if you went to Argentina on a family trip as president of the United States, and you have two daughters, Mm. you'd want to make sure they're having a good trip, right? Sure. So you'd say, so girls, what do you guys want to do in Argentina? And they're like, well, we certainly don't want to do the tango, Dad. You looked ridiculous. Right. Something like that. Yeah, yeah. So Malia and Sasha wanted to meet Lionel Messi, hmm. the Argentine soccer player. Why not? Um, I mean, it seems like a great thing, right? Or, I mean, it would have also been great to have met His Holiness Pope Francis, who's from Argentina. But he's on the other side of the planet. And they met him in the big city okay. in D.C., right? They've already met him. So, but they couldn't make it happen. The president couldn't get – they wanted to meet Lionel Messi, but he couldn't arrange it. Was he in country? Apparently not. Oh, OK. Well, there's, there's the issue. He's, you know, he's, if they, a, if, he's a busy man. If they go to he's, – he's in the middle of his soccer season. Yeah, exactly. If, he, if they want to go meet him, go where he is. Yeah. Just tag along with that next time. So, you know, if all, all you have to do is adjust your trip. Or next time Lionel Messi is like in Washington, D.C., he can swing by. Right. He may make a – Sometimes those teams have a U.S. tour. Yeah. 
Can you imagine, you know, the fit that your so kids So why did this come out? Because um, I guess it was a big deal. They made a big announcement that they girls wanted to see Messi, but Messi wasn't in the country. Huh. Maybe that's something in Argentina where it's like, wow, they wanted to see our star. Our superstar. Okay, no, that's, is, you know, you. maybe that's what it is. I don't yeah. know. It seems like it seems well, odd. It's probably where... the president said, I promise I'm the president. I can make anything happen. Maybe that was it. Maybe now he's got two really mad daughters huh. that he's been dragging around the, around the world. I guess. Boy, it's a bad life. It's a tough life. Don't you think? Wait till six months and they don't have that airplane to fly in. <laughs> that's really Wait tough. Wait till you're stuck in Chicago <laughs> through a winter. <laughs> You probably don't even remember the winters in Chicago. Uh, Interesting stuff. Interesting um, day. We got a great uh, topic coming up today. Political polling. Remember, Michigan uh, with Bernie Sanders didn't really have a great shot at winning Michigan. Hillary Clinton was way ahead. Polling was saying Hillary would carry it. And bada boom, bada bing, Bernie pulls out Michigan. So polling and, and what was characterized as one of the most stunning upsets. One of the stunning, most stunning upsets of all history in the whole like primary yeah nomination process. So it makes you wonder: Are there other states that people are like totally? We think they're going to carry, and they're not going to carry. Yeah, because it's polling as if like there's some big there's a big deal going on in Wisconsin right now. Is Trump going to be able to carry Wisconsin? If he does, it's a big essential kind of win. Mm-hmm. But Cruz is going in there knocking doors. I think he's going to knock every door in Wisconsin and ask for their vote and introduce More power his to wife. Him. Yeah, this is my wife, Heidi. This is my wife, Heidi. I'm sure you've heard about her from the Trumpster. Uh, so we will be um, replaying an, an interview we did uh, a little while ago with Dr. Cliff Zukin about the polls and um, political polling and the mere fact that cell phones are kind of ruining the polling process. It used to be you could always get people. They were at home. Now they're on their cell phone and you don't have that number many times. It's harder to get uh, correct, accurate polls through cell phones. So we're not, you know, people aren't as accessible maybe as they used to be to be polled. So we'll be talking with Dr. Zukin in just a few minutes. But before we do that, let's get to the headlines. Terry, what's going on around the rest of the world? Thanks, Matt. U.S. official told reporters in Brussels this morning that at least two Americans were among those killed in the terror attacks in that city on Tuesday. It wasn't immediately clear who the official was referring to. Word came with U.S. Secretary of State John Kerry visiting Brussels to express his condolences to the Belgian people. In addition, family members said a brother and sister, both Dutch citizens who had been living in New York City and were among those missing following the Brussels attacks, were killed. Their family says Sasha and Alexander Pankowski have relatives in the Netherlands. They were returning to the U.S., when they lost their lives. So we're not sure if those are the two Americans they're referring to, but those are two Americans that have been lost in the the attacks. Uh, As we talked about, comedian Gary Shandling died Thursday at age 66, uh, not known as to what what took his life. The comedic actor had no known prior illnesses, but emergency services were called to his home on Thursday morning. Shandling was nominated for 19 Primetime Emmy Awards, two Golden Globes uh, awards during his career and perhaps best known for his lead role in the HBO series The Larry Sanders Show. He got a start in showbiz writing for 70s classic sitcoms like Sanford and Son and Welcome Back Cotter, both favorites of yours. Absolutely. I saw him on reruns and went, oh, those are yeah, old shows. Those are my channel. Netflix. That's- I know him best as the hydra-compromised U.S. Senator Stern <laughs> from the Captain America movies. Right, right. Oh, that's right. He leaned in and goes, hail Hydra. Hail Hydra. <laughs> 
That's yeah. pathetic. There's a dork turn to every story. Uh, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Services said it will need to spend nearly $4 million to restore the Oregon Wildlife Refuge that was occupied by armed ranchers late last year. The federal government will use industrial vacuums and a uh. large supply of cleaning products to repair the damage, remove debris, build upgrades to the facilities at the wildlife refuge, and, of course, fill in trenches that we talked about before. That was a mess. They made a mess. It's like a scout troop had left. I'm not a very good scout trip. Yeah. There was no zero trace camping going on. <laughs> there was no leave it like you found no, it. exactly. Concepts going on. And uh, this is big news. The Rolling Stones have arrived in Cuba. Really? Yes. Here comes America. There we go. They're going to play a historic free concert tonight in the, in the country where their subversive music was once banned by the communist ruling party. As many as a million people, one in every 11 Cubans are expected to flock to the concert, which comes three days after the groundbreaking visit by President Obama. The show, a surprise addition to the end of the Rolling Stones' Latin America tour, is being widely seen as a major step in Cuba's emergence from years of cultural, ideological, mm. and economic isolation. Sophisticated audio equipment is in such short supply in Cuba that staging the concert has meant the Stones have had to import gear in 61 sea containers and a packed Boeing 747. Are you kidding? 61 can sea containers, those, those big truck containers? Yeah. They're bringing it like it's, it's a huge tour. Oh, this yeah, this, this is like a full blown their real tour. It's they're, they're Latin, and they had to ship all their stuff. Their to Latin Cuba. American tour is just wrapping up. That is this so is the, cool. They, they just added this on the end, and they're all the equipment they have to bring in. Can't because you there's just nothing imagine Fidel just tapping his little slipper shoe? <laughs> I don't know if Fidel's really with happy a about cigar this. hanging out his mouth. He's probably uh, concerned for the the future of his country. Rock and roll music, and all you young kids. In, oh, I think that's interesting. That's cool. America changing Cuba, one rock group at a time. Ah, that's what we do. We import love. We're going to take a break, folks. When we come back, we will be joined, uh, I'll be uh, replaying an interview with Cliff Zukin about uh, political polling. Is it to be trusted? Are cell phones ruining uh, the political polls as we know them? Stick with us, folks. We'll be taking that subject on in just a minute. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, with the presidential election taking the center stage now, every day almost, every uh, before every big um, uh, election, Super Tuesday or whatever, you're, you're going to hear about the polling. You're going to hear about the surveys and, and how... You know how the race is kind of uh, is kind of lining up, and when you hear these polls, whether it's a national poll, whether it's a general election type of poll, whether it's just specific to the city or the or the state that will be voting, are they accurate? Are these polls even accurate? Well, according to our guest uh, today, Dr. Cliff Zukin, he says two trends are driving an increasing unreliability of election and other polling in the United States. The growth of cell phones and the decline in people willing to answer surveys. Dr. Zukin, um, 
is uh, also says that not only have the cell phones and willing participants are, are they, is that challenging the results of high quality research, but it's also making polling more and more expensive, which means fewer people are actually doing it, which may also be driving down the uh, the, the the actual accuracy of the polls. Uh, Dr. Zukin is a professor of public policy and political science at the Edward J. Blaustein School for Planning and Public Policy at Eagleton Institute of Politics at Rutgers University. And uh, we interviewed him um, uh, last October, and uh, we're going to play that interview for you. And when when uh, we get into the interview, I had just asked him about, in 2012, how Mitt Romney seemed to be doing really well. In fact, everybody believed he was leading, would, would probably win. And later it revealed that the polling wasn't that accurate. Well, I thought polls were pretty much on target, um, in fact, polls overestimated Romney a little bit uh, four years ago. The Romney pollster, though, thought that they were going to win. They were actually surprised on Election Day. Mm. Uh, polls were sort of accurate in 2012. They were tremendously accurate in 2008. And the opening statistics you gave of what's happened with cell phones uh, indicate some of the reasons we're less accurate now and going to be less accurate going into 2016. What's, what's happened with cell phones is that we've made a change from dialing landlines to cell phones. That's not a hard thing for us to do. What's hard with cell phones is that they're so much more expensive to do. Hmm. So federal law prohibits cell phones being called by these things that are uh, named predictive dialers or automatic dialers. And so they have to be dialed by hand. Oh, wow. And so it takes a lot more labor, which makes it a lot more expensive. And then the second thing that's happened is that the response rate to polling has gone down. It's now maybe about 10% or so. So you're making thousands and thousands of calls to get a representative sample. And we've been able to figure out how to do a representative sample, but we've not been able to figure out how to do it cost-effectively. Hmm. Yeah, so you can't afford to do, I guess, as big of a sample size, so smaller samples, I guess? Well, two things are happening. One is that, that there are different, well, three things. There are different people doing the polling now. So Gallup recently announced it wasn't going to do horse race polling, and the Pew Research Center uh, announced that it was going to have a limited polling schedule. And those are two of the giants and most respected polls in our industry. So with them out of circulation, it means that there's not as much ballast Mm. as there was. And then the other thing is that people are trying different methods of doing online polling, or cutting corners, or doing smaller sample sizes, as you suggested, all of which will make us a little bit less accurate this time around. Is it, uh, and I guess who's paying for the polls, uh, the candidates, and I guess the sponsoring agencies, like when CNN does a poll, they would, they'd, they'd sponsor it, they'd pay for it. Right. Well, I'm just talking really about the polls that are in the public domain, okay. because the candidates don't do that. Yeah. But but one of the things you certainly know from your business is there's there's been a huge contraction in the media industry. Right. And a big downsizing in the last four and eight years. And so there are fewer resources that newsrooms are putting into polling. And very good good um, state polls, for example, like the Minneapolis Star Tribune or the Star Ledger Eagleton poll no longer exist. And so they've they've you know, very good state polls have stopped being players in 
polling, and I think that's hurt the the environment as well for having good, reliable information out there. There's just fewer mainstream pollsters than there were four and eight years ago. It's become much more expensive to do. It seems like you also see a lot of organizations combining, like a, I don't know if this is an accurate one, but like a CNN Gallup poll. So if two or three organizations go into a poll now and they can all put their name on it. Right. And that's happened even with uh, the Washington Post that now does polls with the University of Maryland and, and uh, NBC will do polls with Marist and so forth. So there's been a lot of merging of that, too. And, and again, that's because fewer organizations have the money. Well, why, so, why do we even need polls, Dr. Zukin? I mean, it's sometimes the polls, it seems like, for example, in the Democratic race, you know, Hillary Clinton being way ahead in the polls makes it feel like it's not even a race. Yeah, you're you're preaching to the choir. I'm sympathetic that polls just about the horse race don't tell you any, yeah. anything that's really useful. Polls that tell you what issues are important to voters, yeah. uh, I think help guide journalists in the questions they ask. I think that uh, there's there's more, there's not much value in telling you who's going to win an election ahead of time. Right. And that's really driven by journalistic principles. I think the political scientists would probably you know, point to other election systems where polls are banned a week before or a few days huh. before and, and suggest that those societies don't actually fall apart. <laughs> yeah, that they're still okay. They're still okay. But I really like that idea, too, of just finding out what's, what, what the voters are interested in, because that would direct the candidates a little bit more. Well, I think that's the track Gallup is taking. They're, they're basically saying we're not going to do horse race polling, but we are going to do polling. On, on issues and candidate tranks and how, uh, how the candidates are perceived by the public. And that's more useful information, I think, during, during the campaign. But th- this all became more complicated because of some law that the telephone companies, I guess, or whatever, put in saying that you couldn't just automatic dial cell phones. Would the cost be cheaper if you could just do that then? Absolutely. And it's not the phone companies. This is the federal government. This oh, the, the Telephone, okay. uh, Consumer Protection Act. And it has been in force. It's not really a new law, though it's sort of being reinterpreted now even more stringently. But we didn't worry about a prohibition that said we can't call cell phones with direct dialers when it was 6% of the public. Right, right. Now that it's 60, you obviously can't ignore that. And so that means you have to pay people to... Uh, make calls to numbers that don't exist and people who are ineligible. And, of course, if only one in ten picks up their phone, they're doing an awful lot of dialing. And so um, telephone polling probably is three times as expensive as it was eight years ago. Hmm. And so that's driven, and, you know, and when you increase the cost of something, you have less of it. And so one of the arguments I've been making is that there are fewer good, reliable polls out there, so we're, we may be shakier this year. We may not. We'll have to see what happens. But certainly we want to have full disclosure with the public and tell them what's going on in our industry and and not overpromise. Yeah. And is it – I mean, let, let's say that the polls were shakier and we were – we weren't having as much accuracy. What What would that do to the election? What would that – how would that impact the election really? Well, it could increase the false dynamic um, in the election that that would be unhealthy. So let's suppose, for example, 
the polls showed Donald Trump and Ben Carson even, but that polls in Iowa have a very hard time because only 20% are going to vote, figuring out who's really likely to go to the polls, and that Carson supporters are more evangelical and more conservative, and they turn out in heavier numbers than Trump, and all of a sudden you've got uh, journalists writing stories before the election that it's neck and neck and the candidates are even, and then after the election, Carson wins two to one, and then his campaign takes a huge springboard and yeah. Trump is on the defensive, and and it really was mainly because you mismeasured it at the beginning. You didn't mm. have the right number of voters. Yeah, it's like a whip. It's did you ever play the the whip game where you hang yeah. on with your friends and whoever's at the end gets really whipped? Oh uh, yeah. Well, it's it's you know polls are used to set expectations for what's going to happen, and then then when they don't happen, you know journalists have a new round of stories, yeah, and it, and it changes what's discussed about in the campaign. And that way, if polling is unreliable, it's, it's possible that it increases the chance of having sort of an artifactual story that drives the campaign rather than that's true, you know, real change. And it, uh, yeah, and then we talk about is this a mandate? It's a mandate. It's he's taking over. The numbers are out of control. I mean, right. it, what happened to Donald Trump tonight? Right. And Carson surges, and you know that that may or may not be true. But let's suppose you had that same pattern of voting, but your expectations were that Carson was going to get forty and Trump was going to get twenty. Mm-hmm. Then you know you you write completely different stories coming out of Iowa. So the. The, there is, a, I guess, a danger of poll setting expectations um, that turn out not to be the case. Well, and and one of the things that really was interesting to me also during the 2012 was Nate Silver. I mean, it seemed like uh, he got a lot of press, which is interesting because pollsters don't always make a lot of press, do they? But just that because some of this is you have to pick a criteria. Well, what I don't know what he, I can't remember. What he called it, but you have to decide who you're really going to be counting because to, to make sure your sampling is truly representative. Right now, what Nate Silver does and what other people do is they don't create their own polls. They're what we call polling aggregators that sift through a lot of polls and try and separate good and bad polls, and then take the average of all the good polls. And so they're not really doing their own That's work. why, yeah. So, yeah, he's actually had to decide which ones he would believe and why. Right. And the other thing that, that Nate Silver and others do is to focus us quite correctly on the Electoral College rather than on the national right. vote. And so I think those two things are still useful. Now, what I would say, and, and I bet Nate Silver would agree, is that if there are fewer good polls out there, then even aggregating them is going to be less accurate than it has been in the past. Yeah. Because they're not creating new stuff. They're just working with what's out in the environment. And if what's out in the environment is of less quality, then that will show up in the aggregations as well. Well, oh, that's so interesting. And and two, and I haven't thought of it this way, let's do this. Let's take a break. But I want to come back and talk about a biased poll. I mean, some polls can be incredibly biased, and even I wonder if intentionally so. Um and that could sway people if we're just if we keep reporting on a poll, but we're not talking about the source of the poll. Well, let's take a break. We're coming back more with Dr. Cliff Zukin out of Rutgers University, professor of public policy and political science there, and uh, an expert in uh, uh, planning and public policy. Stick with us. We're talking political polls right here on the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. 
Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. We're talking about political polling. Uh, what are you supposed to believe? What's really going on behind it? What is the purpose behind a lot of the polls? Um, one of the things that we're learning today is much of the polling really could could also be for fundraising, right? To to prove that you're a viable candidate, you got to be moving up in the polls. And uh, we're speaking with Dr. Cliff Zukin, who is um, he really truly is an expert in the field, professor of public policy and political science at the Edward J. Blaustein School for Planning and Public Policy and at the Eagleton Institute of Politics at Rutgers University. He specializes in public opinion, mass media and American politics, survey research and research methods. So who better to teach us today than Dr. Cliff Zukin? Uh, Dr. Zukin, welcome back to The Matt Townsend Show. Love this subject um, because there's so much I think we need to learn, and we hear almost in every newscast about the po- uh, the political um, process. We're hearing more and more about the polling. It it seems like um, if we're not careful, and I guess this is the the journalist's job is to be reporting the poll, but also the source of the poll, and even maybe the methods of the polling, right? To make sure it's not intentionally skewed. Yeah, we would sure love journalists to be gatekeepers. Yeah, wouldn't that uh, be and, you know, ideal? To keep, to, yeah, keep bad things out and, and only pass on good things. But uh, more and more, it, it's hard for journalists to know what makes a good poll and what makes a bad poll mm. because developments have changed so quickly in our industry. Yeah. Do you – I guess – I mean you're probably called on as a consultant to probably help uh, organize and to do polling. When Are there certain polls that you trust more – are there certain that are just so institutional, you, you know you can trust what you're seeing? Well, I think uh, Gallup and Pew have been around for a very, very long time, and they know what they're doing. Gallup was a little bit off in the last election and actually had Romney ahead, but they did a very, very thorough postmortem, and I think have corrected some of the things that they're doing. Um, so those are, I think, you know, the the better national polls out there. We don't have a lot of national polls that are around twelve months out of the year. A lot of the candidate and and media polls come and go, of course. Mm-hmm. Do do you trust like uh, the Iowa, you know, poll? The, the I do. yeah, because I mean that's pretty state centric, right? That's pretty clear. Well, and the Iowa polls run by Joanne Seltzer has a very very good track record. I mean, you can you can look up these things and see how close they were in terms of. What they do, a lot of the state polls are really quite good because they know how to do their own states. Yeah. Does, uh, and so she's had so much experience trying to, to figure out who's really going to go to the caucus and who's not going to the, go to the caucus that uh, her polling has turned out to be quite accurate. So when it comes down to it, um, I guess the biggest part of this is just costs are going up. Um, are there other ways that uh, pollsters can get the same information? It is, are there... Are there cheaper ways that they can can get access to the same information? Well, there are cheaper ways, but they're not as good. Uh, and by that, I mean a lot of polling's being driven to the internet, right? And online polls. And uh, there there are a couple problems with online polls. First is that not everybody's covered. Um, and even though it's it is almost everybody, say under thirty, where ninety eight percent have connections to the internet. Uh, in 2014, that was only 13% of voters, but but 40% of those uh, over 60 or so aren't on the internet, and they make up 22% of voters. Hmm. So, 
there's a coverage problem, and, and it's more likely among those people who are more likely to vote. And then there's no good way for us to sample Internet addresses the way we sample telephone numbers. So what a lot of right. posters have gone to is what are called opt-in surveys and non-probability samples. And this is where journalists really need to beware, because with an opt-in or a non-probability sample, you can't really compute sampling error. It doesn't apply. So, so I, for example, if I'm an opt-in, then I could go to a newsletter, opt-in to take the uh, poll, answer the poll. But because I opted in, I'm already kind of biased, maybe, right? Probably. And, and if I'm on the website that is maybe more conservative-leaning, I might be biased in a different way. So I guess you're saying we can't – we don't know who's answering and we don't know the quality of uh, – we don't know the neutrality of the, of the contact. Yeah, and it's important that people not be self-selected. Right. Uh, I mean, that's one of the first rules of polling. When you draw a sample, you draw that sample to be representative so that you have, you know, if if there are 4% of the population from Utah, your sample covers 4%. And if there's X percent in Utah and Salt Lake City, your, your sample's covering that. Hmm. And so there, there are ways to make it, and then you call randomly exchanges that are located in Salt Lake City. And, and that's a cardinal rule of polling is that only when you do what's called a probability sample can you make a valid inference back from that sample to the population from which it's been drawn. So yeah. there's a lot of opt-in polling now uh, that's non-probability, and that's one of the reasons polls were off in 2014. They were off in Britain. They were off in Israel. Uh, in 2015, you know, the the world has become much more populated by online surveys, and right now they are not as accurate. Oh, yeah. Man, this is really complicating your job, Cliff. <laughs> Yours, too. <laughs> it is, too. It really is. And it, I guess in the end, it's uh, – we just – we're going to have to pay the bill. I mean, it seems like if you want quality, you're going to have to still go out and – Call more people and get more of a representative sample instead of trying to cut corners. You know, that's exactly where we are in 2016. We might have it solved, Internet surveys solved by 2018 or 2020. But right now, if you want really good surveys, you need to pay a lot more. And that's that's why, you know, again, when, when things cost a lot, there tend to be fewer of them. Mm-hmm. And that's where we are right now. What can I do and, and should I? I mean, if I'm just, you, you know... Average citizen Joe, I remember back in the day you would you would take that ten minute phone call back in the day when they would call on Tuesday nights, and um, and you'd do the poll, you'd answer all the questions, but you were doing it because you felt like you know civic duty. Do I have a civic duty to be polled? Gosh, I would think you would, but you may not. Yeah, uh, because I know people resent polling because market research gives it such a bad name. Yeah. Uh, you know, as a pollster, I encourage people to, to respond to polls. It's a way for the public to have its voice felt and heard and, and to be injected into a discussion that's often really populated by interest groups and special interest groups. It's good to have the general public represented. Maybe that's it, though, is we, we keep hearing – maybe we keep hearing polls that are so special interest group focused that we don't se- – and they, we don't sense their results match us. So we're thinking, well, who are you polling? But they're, the special interest groups are using their polling to try to sway either you know, the electorate or try to sway the politicians. Yeah, I just 
honestly don't think it's a question for the public of, you know, I, they're not going to have enough information. They don't. You shouldn't expect po- people to follow, have to follow politics at that level to understand which polls to respond right. to and which ones not to. I really do think it falls more on us and the scientific community and you and the journalistic community to keep bad polls out of the media environment. Mm-hmm. You know, and, I don't think that's a job for the public to figure out which is good and which is bad. That's right. No, I think you're right. And and in the end, too, it's um, it's it's so hard because the next poll, the next latest and greatest poll, like the new CBS polls come out and everybody's jumping on it and without even probably thoroughly looking at the poll and the sampling size. And but I guess somebody, you know, CBS put their name on it, so we'll trust it. Right. And I think that's what's got to happen. I, I think the media have to police themselves and not put out bad work, and that, that requires them to get up to speed on changes in the industry and, right. and what's happened. And it may require them to open their pockets a little bit more. Yeah. You know, to do it, to do it as well. And again, the media have an obligation, too. Yeah. Oh, for sure. No, I mean, and especially you can see now more than ever, the, it seems like the media or certain sources are being wagged by the tail. Like it's uh, the candidates now are being able, or a few of them, are being able to pretty much push the media any which way they want to. Well, it's always been that way. I mean, it's it, it, campaigns have always been about the dynamics between the pub, a triangle between the public and the candidates and the media. Mm. And sometimes that shifts from year to year, but that's that to me is not new. That's sort of the rules that have evolved out of this new system of presidential nominations that we went to. Uh, in the late 1960s, early 1970s. That's yeah. just the way the system works. Hey, as an expert in public opinion, mass media, and politics, just give me your take on Donald Trump. This this I is think, an incredible, it seems like, phenomenon that's going on. Yeah, I think it's sort of chickens coming home to roost in two ways. One is that, you know, most people spend their time with entertainment, TV, and TV culture. Yeah. And it is... Uh, we've gotten used to reality shows and that sort of stuff for years. And that's not a good thing. That's not a good thing. And then the other thing about him is that both he and Bernie Sanders have topped into a great deal of anger. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's there because the political system has not been working well. The, the job of the political system is to compromise. That's where value questions go to get adjudicated. Hmm. And over the last decade or so, they've been increasingly unable to do that. And so I think the public does have a right to be frustrated with the political system right now. Yeah. It's not performing very well. It's it's an interesting um, dynamic. And do you, do you get a sense that it's just, uh, you know, almost kind of a bluff right now? Like the people are just – they're going to bluff until the very end when they'll choose a candidate that they might fully trust? Or is this – do you sense it will go all the way to the – I think it might go all the way. I think, you know, you're asking for individual, you're asking for collective rationality on individual decisions. So if people Mm. say, I'm just pissed off, excuse my language, and want to vote for Trump, you know, they don't have to deal with the consequences of he could actually win, because that's sort of a collective thing. Right. So, I don't know. We're going to have to see how it plays out. It is, it has certainly been more interesting than I ever thought it was going to get. (laughs) Well, I know, and Ted, and, and Ben Carson, I mean, is... Uh, he's kind of the kinder, gentler rebellion vote, but it's still, I mean, he's still thriving, it seems like. Yeah, well, we'll see how it, how it turns out. My sense is that the more of Trump, the less support he'll get. I'm not sure if people are yeah. going to get tired of that show or not. 
and Carson, you know, has some extreme views. Yeah. Uh, you know, a serious evangelical candidate, and I'm not sure a lot of people know that. So we'll find out as more debates go on and more things happen. Um, but but it is a, a very unpredictable season right now. Oh, it sure is. Well, we appreciate your time again, Dr. Cliff Zukin from Rutgers University. Keep up the good work, and good luck trying to sort through all of the polling problems. You too. Thanks for the invitation to come on. You bet, Cliff. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Interesting, um, interesting stuff, isn't it? When you when you talk to the pros, it's it's still just a numbers game, right? But again, sixty percent, sixty percent of the people now are using their phones, and uh, it's costing a lot more. So if uh, at some point, if you want more accurate data, you might have to start answering your phones and being willing to take the survey, um, you know, to lower the costs. Hmm. I don't know. I kind of like not answering my phone. So, sorry. I guess I'll, I'll leave it up to everyone else. Interesting stuff. Political polling. Do you care? Does it even matter to you? We'll take a break, folks. We'll be right back. More right here on The Matt Townsend Show in just a few minutes. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Well, remember, uh, you get to vote, and uh, you get to answer a poll if you want to, whether it's uh, over the phone, over the cell phone, or even an exit poll. uh, You know, one person, you have the right to to make a little noise. And uh, never was that more true than out of... uh, Washington's Reagan National Airport. Now, if you've ever flown into that airport, most stunning, I think, probably an airport in the world. Oh. And what happens is you fly in over all of the monuments and you take off and you see the monuments and it's just beautiful. It's breathtaking. However, out of the 8,600 noise complaints that uh, had been um, filed last year. Officials say 6,500 of them came from one person. 6,500 complaints of noise came from one person, according to the Washington Post. (laughs) This is what it sounds like for that poor person. So anyway, kids, what do you want for... What do you want for breakfast, kids? What you want? How many? How many eggs? Did you say three? <laughs> that is so sad. Washington Post reports that officials at the Metropolitan Washington Airport Authority have said that one unidentified Washington resident filed three quarters of the complaints. That's an equivalent of one person making eighteen calls every day of the year (laughs) and they could never even finish the call hey i'm really upset about the how many airplanes are going to be taken off today now for crying out loud make it stop make it stop (laughs) oh it's so sad but it doesn't mean you shouldn't try right (laughs) 
Uh, Mr. Jones, this is... It's, I'm, I'm having a hard time hearing you. Now you're, are, the, are the airplanes bothering you? No, they're fine. I'm done. It doesn't matter anymore. Um, apparently, this person has some time. Or the problem is that bad. Kid, you want to go play? You want to go play? You want to go outside and play? I can't, Mommy. It hurts my ears. <laughs> it hurts, Mom. Don't make me go outside. Why don't you boys go play ball outside? We can't, Mother. <laughs> uh, you think you have it bad. You don't even live by an airport. That is really the most beautiful airport around. Have you flown into there, Ben? I have not. Where is it? Uh, Washington Reagan Airport, the big airport that flies right over the monuments. It's really cool. It's amazing. Anyway, if you haven't seen it, uh, you've missed out because it's a bit of a – it's a piece of Americana. And it has a really good – it has a really good – you can't even hear the plane when you're in it. But when you're sitting on the ground, it sounds a lot like that. We're going to take a break, folks. That's hour number one of the Matt Townsend Show. We'll come back next hour. More fun, more ideas to help you uh, see the good in the world. Next hour, we'll be talking education. How do we uh, how do we lift those that struggle the most in this country and create a healthier education for everybody? This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll talk about it up next. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. Top of the morning to you. Uh, it's Friday. Good Friday. And, uh... Happy Good Friday to you all, and also Waffle Day. I don't know, again, that there's a parallel, but it is Happy Waffle Day Day. Yes. It's also, um, for those that are keeping score, Tolkien Reading Day. J.R.R. Tolkien. Tolkien. Lord of the Rings. Yeah, I thought you, but I thought you pronounced it Tolkien. Whatever way you want. Um, I'm not going to correct you except I, for the time I just did. Except for right then. I think, uh, were you big into the Lord of the Rings series? Did you read the books or did you just? No. I saw the movies. I tried to read the books. I got through the first one. Mm-hmm. Halfway through the second one, it was, oh, I'm done. Can't do it. And then I read The Hobbit. Mm-hmm. You got to read The Hobbit. I was stunned. They, they extended it to, what, three movies? Mm-hmm. And the third one was over, what, it covered seven pages or something? Yeah. Like, it's about really? a 300-page book, right? Yeah. And yeah. then the Lord of the Rings ones are about 500 each. Yeah. It's yeah. a lot more content, whereas The Hobbit, the, really, the pace was really slow. And my wife just went nuts on that last one. The last one was just a huge <laughs> battle scene. I was all for it. You like that. Let's watch the ogres go after the, the eagles. Oh, and that's a good fight. The dwarves. Mm-hmm. It, was just, it, was, it was cool to watch. Did you have your dwarf bracket? Did you, no, did you do a bracket? I did not. With I, did, I, did, I did dress up as a dwarf so I could <laughs> play along, but that was different. Oh, man. They, but captivating, right? Yeah. Incredible. Think of how many kids had their brains totally stretched by that those books. Those books. And it goes on. There's oh, so yeah. much so much 
just like maps and family trees and they made a backstory before the first book to explain all the how all the characters get to where they are and so it's just crazy that's cool and it it's so today we're celebrating that we're celebrating um all of the works in education and all the library groups that have been created tolkien's the lord of the Rings series it's tolkien reading day it's happening now also it's friday which means we'll be talking uh, in next hour about movies coming out. Mm. The children are super excited. Uh, the Batman versus Superman came out. My kids apparently all went there last night, and it, it's a school night. Mm. The parents are not doing what they're supposed to be doing. Right. You got to police your children better. <sighs> I would, but I try to. Two o'clock Saturday. Get to bed early. What? That's when I'll see it. That's you've already got your tickets. Yeah. You've got it scheduled. Yeah, it's all ready to go. You have on your wife, schedule. Go, go watch a movie. When should I do it? She goes, we're going to see it anyways. Just schedule it. I'm like, Let's all right. Get it over with. So, And then, I, then I'll come home and then I'll start checking to see when the next uh, Captain America is the next yeah. movie. So you got to find out when that movie's going to allow you to go pre, uh, pre-purchase tickets. And- do you remember yesterday we talked about tone? Yes. So did you pick up your wife's tone in her comment to you? Just She was annoyed that I was worrying about if we should see it or not. Because we have a lot of things going on on Saturday. And she said, we're going to see it. So just get your tickets. Get them. Just, yeah, just stop talking about it. the dental appointment. Right. No, I she, will get my she, teeth drilled. She likes the movies. They're, they're quite the spectacle. Does she like them? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Or do you think she likes them? She tells me that she likes them. She's, she's either she's lying, lying completely. Yeah. She's probably lying. She doesn't invite me to go see the movies she wants to see, though. Like what would be a movie she'd like to see? I don't know. Um, we no. went and saw one called my, I think it was like my sister's keeper or something like that. Mm, sounds good. Which was depressing because there was a girl that had cancer and she was uh. dealing with chemo from the opening credits to the closing. And you're like, what are uh. we doing? Whereas in a superhero movie, two individuals destroy an entire city. Was there a they robot a, involved in my sister's keeper? No, there was no robots. But there was like a big scene where space invaders tried nope. to blow up the planet. Nope, it was like touchy-feely and emotions. And, and this was a movie? A coming of age. Yeah. Maybe that's what they need to do is they yeah. need to create a, like a cancer movie like that mm-hmm. where they go send Ant-Man in Ooh, and Ant-Man takes care of the cancer. That would be way cool. Don't you think? That would be super, super cool. Maybe. Hmm. So there's no real mashup that'll work. So I think my wife, if she really wants to see a movie and we classify it as a female-oriented, friendly type, mm-hmm. meaning a non-me movie, um, she takes her sister. Yeah. Yeah. It just works out better. It's better for everybody. And we don't have to worry about finding a sitter. I just take care of the kid. It's fine. Which is so funny because um, one of the first I think weeks that we all knew you, hmm. you, that we were watching a commercial. Was it a commercial? And you broke down. No, no, that was it. You was, broke down it was, weeping. Yeah, but you were weeping. We don't need to talk about that. Was That's it a fine. commercial? It it sort of was a commercial, like a Hallmark commercial. It, it was for Kleenex tissue. It was a Kleenex tea. Yeah. yeah, and you and see now, but you're this hard, callous soul. But yeah. we know if we pull out a Kleenex commercial. Well, mm. ho- hold on. I, I saw him watching the Notebook last week. No, I know. Oh. Did you see that? Yeah. He, he came never, in. His eyes were I've all never red. Never seen the Notebook. And he's like, oh, allergies. <laughs> Yeah. And then I thought that was weird. Like the next week, did you notice he had that notebook T-shirt? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's powerful. 
and like a, a replica notebook. Uh-huh. So the next Star Trek movie comes out this summer, too. Are you changing the subject? Absolutely. I'm going to have a busy summer. You it's going to be one movie after another after another. Your calendar's full. It's going to be good. Actually, that that's the part that probably annoys my wife the most. We have a shared calendar, so we can put like family events. Ah. I know when I have meetings and when I have things to go do, she can see that. And then, you know, kind of we can plan where, where, with our, our kid what we need to do. Well, I have all those movies on there. Right. Through 2020. Wow. All the Marvel movies, all the DC movies, all wow. the. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Is this what you do when you leave here? Eh, some. When oh, they put when, when they put out the list, and then the, the best part is when they adjust the lists. Yeah, they'll move a, a movie to a different weekend. I'll uh, go in and adjust the calendar immediately. You need a life. <laughs> you need a life. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of obsessed a little bit. Hey, um, did you hear the great news about the Central Florida mayor? What, what, what's the Central Florida mayor doing? He's going. To, he he is going to return. So the mayor of Central Florida is city is planning a visit to Cuba. Okay. Because everyone's going to Cuba now. Right. It's open now. What Why band not? is? Rolling Stones. Rolling Stones is going to Cuba. Yeah. And and there's 61 sea crates of equipment because there's no high-tech sound equipment in Cuba. And they're going to just kill it in Cuba. It'll they're probably going to sink the island. Probably. But um, the mayor of Central Florida is planning to visit Cuba and then return home hmm. on a makeshift raft. Why not? So he can better understand what Cuban migrants go through when crossing the Florida Straits. Does it say if he's running for election or re-election? DeBerry Mayor Clint Johnson says he plans to visit Cuba in mid-April. He says he understands the risk of crossing the Straits on a raft, adding he loves living outside the box. Castaway? Even though he'll be floating in a box for about six days. Johnson says he'll go to Havana with his wife, bringing along bolts Mm. and oar locks. That should get through customs great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no problem. He plans to obtain other pieces for his raft in Cuba. Apparently the, there are pieces As available. the Cubans do. Where do you think they get their raft pieces from? <laughs> Rafts are us. There's a little raft shack. <laughs> you just build your own raft. Wow, I get a follow I, It up. does not say if he's running. Wouldn't but, that be the greatest like election campaign stunt? Yeah. Your video that you can run in in your city to to you know vote for mayor so and so and you see him coming in on a raft, <laughs> he knows your struggles you know till he floats into Boston Harbor. Mm. Oops, <laughs> totally missed that, Florida. <laughs> that trip felt a little longer than it should have been. Oh. I I am the mayor of Central Florida City. That's a great thing for him. Mm. So he he wants to feel what his people felt or some. That, so would you mm-hmm. like to live as? Ben, our producer here, lives so that you could feel the struggle that a student <laughs> trying to work at BYU Radio goes through. <coughs> you no? wouldn't last Never. one day. Okay. I just I thought maybe that no. could be the parallel here I've, is you could experience Ben's life. I've lived a life of a college student. Mm. I, I, I was about to say I've lived Ben's life, but nobody's lived Ben's life. You're right. That's <laughs> Like, seriously, that would take near-death experience. <laughs> I've, but I've lived a college – I've lived the life. Okay. I've lived the life of poverty. I've sat in a way like Ben completely incapable of doing my job before. Mm. Mine lasted Wait, a on. day, right. not a year. Yeah. It's not a continuing problem. <sighs> I do not want to be like Ben. I mean I, I love Ben. Right. He's a great guy. I just thought maybe you could wrong. relate to him better if you could no. see it from his no. point of view. No? Okay. It wouldn't I, be I, I think I'd be able to respect you more if you knew Ooh. the pains I went through. 
Mm, there's a compelling argument right if there. If you had to talk with HR every day. Yeah. <laughs> I have talked to HR every day. That's why you talk to HR every day. Yeah, but like for different reasons. Yeah, the roles would be flipped. Yeah, mine's called a complaint. Oh. Yours is called discipline action. Hmm. And so if you had to experience disciplinary action, then maybe you'd understand. These are all great points you're making here. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I would rather probably go float from Cuba to Florida on my back. There was a woman that tried to swim from Florida to Cuba. How'd that go? Um, she'd get out of, she did it. I don't know if she actually completed the swim, but she would get attacked by jellyfish. Mm. And so she's just covered in these red welts where they're, she's jelly, swi- jelly welts. Cause you're swimming through the yeah. jellyfish yeah. and as they hit you with their arms. No, and, you don't want that. No. That'll sting. Yeah. Um, and it's not as harrowing as it sounds. She's with a chase crew and there's a boat and they'd give her protein bars or something to keep her going, but. You, you know what you would have to watch out for? In South Carolina, a 2,500-pound great white shark was caught off the coast. Yeah. 2,500-pounder. They have a problem with some sharks out there. He, a man reeled in a tw- massive 2,500-pound great white shark. So if this mayor is, is – he's got to be careful. Yes. There are shark-infested waters out there. The shark reportedly jumped completely out of the water after being caught on the hook for about two minutes. Hmm. He was unable to reel it in completely. After an insane battle, we ended up getting her uh, her boat side at about 7 p.m. to apply an acoustic tag near the dorsal and take a DNA sample from her pec fin, Oof. which is exactly what we did to Ben when we first caught Ben. We tagged him and bagged him and we sent him got, on his way. We got him boat side. My, my arm's still sore from that, by the way. Yeah. I'm, I'm sorry. Should I get that checked out? Or? No. Nope. It, the tracker is for scientific mm-hmm. purposes, and it, it cannot be removed. So. Yeah, I, I understand that, but the DNA sample. We need to, we need yeah. to record your migration patterns, okay? Mm-hmm. Just let it go. We talked about this before. Yeah. Yep. It's important for science. Okay, sorry. Yes, Migration sir. and mating patterns, we've been documenting. <laughs> Completely boring. <laughs> he goes from his house to BYU Radio. From his, from his apartment to his bike. BYU Radio. Maybe class a couple times a week. Yeah. 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 Good stuff. Hey, uh, let's get to Terry. Terry, anything going on around the rest of the world we need to pay attention to? There is. Thanks, Matt. U.S. Secretary of State John Kerry arrived in Brussels this morning for counterterrorism talks with the leaders from the European Union and Belgium. He also will pay his respects for the 31 people who died and 270 who were wounded in this week's Islamic State-linked suicide bombings at the Brussels airport and a subway station. A U.S. official told reporters in Brussels today that at least two Americans were among those killed in the terror attacks in that city Tuesday. It wasn't immediately clear who the official was referring to. Donald Trump is not ruling out the use of nuclear weapons in the U.S. fight against the Islamic State of Iraq Iraq and Syria, according to uh, an interview with the with the GOP frontrunner that aired on Bloomberg TV Wednesday, asked if he would consider nuclear retaliation after this week's terror attacks in Brussels. Trump responded. I'm never going to rule anything out. Right. And I wouldn't want to say, even if I felt it wasn't going, I wouldn't want to tell you that. Right. Because at a minimum, I want them to think maybe we would use it. Okay. Right. It's the worst thing when... We do these interviews with everybody, not me, and you ask a question like that, and everybody comes clean and they're so honest. You know, we need unpredictability. Some feel that that may come back and haunt him as he runs 
possibly against a Democrat later on here this summer, yeah. that he seems willing just to use the bomb whenever he wants to. Well, and apparently he calls that unpredictability. Yes. It's on the table at all times. But it is. I teach that principle. We pay attention to people mm. that have a bomb that they might use anytime. <laughs> it's weird. We pay more attention, right, to North right. Korea. Right. So he apparently it's working. He's just trying to follow the policy of North Korea. Apparently. Be unpredictable. So he said carry that. Carry a big bomb. He said that on Wednesday on Bloomberg TV. Uh, yesterday, Ted Cruz and uh, Donald Trump continued their, their fight involving their wives wife, as they go back and forth. Battle. Ted Cruz unleashed Thursday afternoon on Trump for his attacks on Cruz's wife, calling the GOP frontrunner a sniveling coward. He also implored the reality TV star to leave Heidi alone and asked his, by reporters in Wisconsin, when he was asked by Wisconsin reporters about his rival Wednesday evening's retweet of a message negatively comparing Heidi's physical appearance to oh. Melania Trump's. Oh, boy. Somebody else made the tweet and then... Trump retweeted. Yeah, well, he didn't tweet it. So he he didn't just retweeted it. it. Phoenix Mayor Greg Stanton asked the Department of Justice and Attorney General Loretta Lynch to investigate voting delays in Maricopa County, Arizona during Tuesday's primaries. Throughout the county, but especially in Phoenix, thousands of citizens waited in line for three, four, even five hours to vote, Stanton wrote in his letter to Lynch on Thursday. Many more simply could not afford to wait that long and went home. This is unacceptable anywhere in the United States, and I am angry that county election officials allowed it to happen in my city. In the letter, Stanton notes that a total number of polling places in the county was cut significantly by 85% compared to what was available in the 2008 primary and 70% compared to what was available in the 2012 primary. These cutbacks were especially salient in minority communities. Hmm. And they, when, when, there's reports you'll see they put up a map and you see this is 2008 versus now and it's significantly less places where you could actually go vote. So by doing that, you make uh, long lines and yeah. you make it tough to make get people actually to vote. Of the four matchups that played out Thursday in the NCAA's men's basketball Sweet 16, all four were won by the higher seed team. Number two seed Oklahoma beat Texas A&M. Villanova topped Miami. And Kansas beat Maryland along with Oregon late night come overcoming fourth-seeded and defending champ Duke. All hmm. four winners advanced to the Elite Eight, which begins Saturday. The final four games of the Sweet 16 tonight. Sweet. Uh, this is a fun time. Fun time if you like college sports. That's what's so great about college sports. You never know what's going to happen. Game to game, you never know. Hey, uh, we are going to be talking in just a few minutes with Dr. Elaine Weiss um, about a kind of a new approach to education. It's uh, it's It's been pushed uh, by an organization called... A broader, bolder approach to educational reform. And she's going to be bringing us some insights, some ideas as to what really is happening to certain levels and or and certain uh, strata of our society when it comes to their educational opportunities. Poverty deeply impacts a person and a child's ability to learn. And uh, she'll be talking about a way to be able to lift everybody to a higher level, a bolder, broader approach to education. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. 
we are taking a second to get our guest, uh, Dr. Elaine Weiss, on the phone. But uh, I wanted to bring up something that's in the news. You see it with Donald Trump and Ted Cruz and uh, the whole battle going on. Now, whether you think it's even appropriate or not, there's a lot of tension. And the tension is because Ted Cruz is responding to Donald Trump and uh, a pack that Ted Cruz um, is backing Ted Cruz basically threw um, Melania Trump under the bus, um, metaphorically, because of, you know, a picture. They, they showed a picture of her uh, in, um, I guess, in a scantily clad. I haven't seen the picture image and basically sent this out to Utah before the caucuses and said, is this is your future first lady? Which, you know, upset the the Don, and then the Don blew up and made some comments. Oh, boy, don't make me tell the secrets of Ted Cruz's wife. I'm going to have to spill the beans. And um, off they went. And then back and forth, back and forth. Now, and I wanted to hold up, just as in a kind of a coach's corner here, I wanted to hold up this idea, and it might work for those two that keep bickering over something stupid, and it's almost like quicksand. The more they fight about a stupid argument, the deeper they get, and the deeper they get, the the more they have to fight to get out, and back and forth and back and forth, right? So there's a point where one person, and this happens in all of our lives, but there will be a point where one person needs to be the big person and just be done and and decide that, you know what, this is not a winning approach. Um, now it's hard because what ends up happening is Ted Cruz feels a need to defend his wife, right? I've got to defend my wife. I've got to defend her honor. So he ends up arguing and defending uh, his wife's honor. But all he does in the end is bolster the dawn to keep fighting, to keep pushing back. Uh, Ted has should have other goals, I'm assuming, and other desires and another focus that he'd really rather be be focusing on. So what you're seeing in the political world is something that a lot of us end up having in our own personal lives, not maybe this public of a fight. But there are certain times where you just need to pull away, right? You just need to get to just walk away from certain people. And one of the things I think I would focus on is uh, let me give you some rules for what I call the polite pull away. And I'm not sure it could work at the political level, you know, with Ted and Donald, but I know it could work, um, you know, on any level if if we just live the principles. The principles that this that I'm talking about here, they work. For example. You got to be clear that pulling away is the answer, right? Um, be clear that because you're going to have to pull away at some point from a difficult conversation. Maybe you're having a conversation at Christmas and it starts getting heated and it's about politics or it's about money or it's about something and it's just getting ugly. There's a point where it's better to just agree to disagree. So I'm just going to end the conversation and not need to keep pushing it. Every one of us will have a situation where it would be better for you to just pull away than to just keep pushing, to keep fighting. So you got to ask yourself, why? what really do I want here? In the end, 
I might win this argument with this family member, but I also might lose my character. I might lose my principles. I might lose the respect of others. Um, If I'm fighting with somebody especially that I know doesn't necessarily live by principle, then why am I fighting with them? You can live principle by just saying, I'm not going to engage your uh, your horrible rhetoric around, uh, you know, our wives. I'm not going to keep talking about our wives. I want to stick to the issues, and I wish you would too, Donald. And we pull away. And I know it's the hardest thing to do because we think we want – we need to defend our wife. But in the end, it might be better for all of us to just see them pull away. Uh, another just simple basic rule is that it's two people that are in this fight, right? Two people that are causing the battle, but it only takes one person to create the change. So become the change and sometimes just get in your heart. If this isn't working, I can still appreciate you and I'm not going to have this conversation anymore. Now, if you end up doing that too much with your spouse, you're probably never going to solve a problem. So this isn't a solution. The pull away isn't a solution for every problem, just the ones that really don't need to be fought in the first place. We'll take a break, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back with our guest, Dr. Elaine Weiss. We're talking about a broader, bolder approach to education reform. Stick with us. Up in the morning and out to school. The teacher is teaching the golden rule. American history and practical man. You study him hard and hoping to pay. Welcome back, everybody. Little Chuck Berry for you. Man, it never felt that fun to go to school. You know, last year, the Washington Post published an article that revealed that an analysis of 2013 federal data revealed that for the first time in over 50 years, the majority of U.S. public school students came from low-income families. So what is being done to help out these students? How is the poverty at home affecting students' abilities to succeed in school? These are the tough questions that are being asked and addressed by the Broader, Bolder Approach to Education, which is a national campaign. Uh, Dr. Elaine Weiss, the National Coordinator for Broader, Bolder Approach to Education, joins us now live from Washington, D.C., to discuss some of these questions. Dr. Weiss, thank you so much for being on the show with us today. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. And it's uh, we we appreciate this this initiative because w- with these new with this new data, a, a ma- I mean a major amount of um, the people attending pr- public schools are these low income families. Talk about what is the impact of a person's uh, poverty level on their learning abilities, their uh, and how they can you know maneuver their way through the educational system. So poverty has big impact, and we've actually known this for quite a while. Um, James Coleman, who was tasked by Congress in 1966 with trying to figure out why achievement gaps were happening then, um, much to his own surprise, uh, discovered that much of the problem did not actually reside in schools. And when we think about what schools were like and how segregated they were in 66, that says quite a bit. Um, What Coleman reported back was that he believed that more than half, roughly two-thirds of the drivers of achievement gaps uh, were family and community factors related to poverty and education. Hmm. Um, No one since Coleman has seriously disputed that, but we do know a lot more. Um, We know a lot more about 
how poverty and education interact. Um, and more recently, we even have neuroscience looking at how um, continued living in poverty, especially when kids are very young, when there's the most formative years of brain development, actually has a physical impact on their brain development. Oh, wow. In other words, yeah. this kind of living in poverty, living in toxic stress, if we think about kids living in families where, um, as I think you guys just broadcast, um, parents are working full-time, maybe even more than one job, they still aren't sure that they can put a square meal on the table all the time, they aren't sure they can buy shoes, mm. um, they often aren't sure they can pay rent. Um, living in that kind of stress, especially as a very young kid, is what is they're calling toxic. Um, and obviously has huge impacts. Um, and then there are uh, the many others. There's the fact that uh, kids whose parents can't afford to be around obviously can't afford good child care. So those right. kids don't get the nurturing and stimulation. Um, those kids are more likely to be sick, less likely to see a doctor. So they miss school more often. And when they're in school, they're not as able to focus because they're not as healthy. Yeah. Um, oh. And there are myriad other examples. And it doesn't, um, because some people would sit there and say, well, just... I mean, some people were poor and they just pulled themselves up by the bootstraps, but it's it's not like that. I mean, if the if the majority of these people don't have a good meal, and I we did uh, have somebody on recently that just feeding them better meals, you know, through the WIC program or other programs, all of a the sudden uh, their their scores go up, their abilities go up, but just the ability to have a parent have enough time to sit down with you and help you on your homework. I mean, that's a exactly. whole other thing. Or have a quiet place to do homework. Right. Um, when you're talking about kids, forget the extreme. We've now got more kids than we've ever seen in this country that live in homeless shelters. Okay, so we can assume they don't have a quiet right. space to do homework, let alone sort of the mental bandwidth to do it. But if you're living in an overcrowded apartment and you're living with two families and you've got a total of two bedrooms, you have no place to do homework. Mm-hmm. And if your electricity gets turned off, you don't have right. a place to do homework. Yeah. And I mean, it's hard anyway to do homework with your kids, especially like in high school. They're bringing home math assignments. And I'm like, what? What is that? Yep, and it, so I mean, I, it's it's the strange phenomenon, even for somebody that is educated and isn't in poverty. It's hard anyway. Is Now, we've already tried to address these issues, right? I mean, this has been this is the whole no child left behind kind of thing, wasn't it? Weren't we already because we've known this since the 60s. Uh, what's different about what you're trying to do versus what we've been doing the last 10 years, 15 years? Well, to be clear, for the last 10 years, we've frankly sort of been doing the opposite of this. So we did have an era, post-Coleman, post-Brown versus Board of Education, where we understood as a country, pretty much, that this was a big issue, that Hmm. poverty posed problems. And we responded with some really powerful policies. We had a war on poverty, for example. Uh, We desegregated our schools and we... Um, passed the Elementary and Secondary Education Act, ESEA, which is what it was called before No Child Left Behind. Um, and it was passed explicitly as a civil rights bill to help schools tackle and mitigate the impacts of poverty. And it did have a huge impact. So we have to be careful here not to say it didn't work. Right? Um, did it do the whole thing? No. But over those 20 years, we cut black-white achievement gap in half. Okay, so it had a very major impact. Yeah. The problem is we then declared that because it hadn't fixed everything that it didn't work, and we stopped doing it. Yeah. We stopped declaring a war on poverty. We stopped desegregating schools, and we radically ratcheted back the support for poor schools and eventually transitioned um, to No Child Left Behind, which has a very different emphasis, where the emphasis is on um, we need higher standards and we need greater accountability and actually less support to enable schools to reach those. 
Hmm. And the result has been twofold. One is we stopped closing that race achievement gap. It's been stagnant for about the past 30 years. And meanwhile, as income inequality has grown in this country, the income-based gap has exploded and is now more than twice as big as the race-based gap. Golly. It's, yes. Isn't that funny? I mean, that's how, that's how these systems work, right? We, it's, it's, it's productively moving one you know, part of the, the equation, the problem we need to solve, and then somebody else comes in, changes it, and throws out everything else. And we go, I guess, push stronger, you know, stronger standards. I guess more pressure was then being put, I guess, with no child left behind on the teachers, right? Then, and, and focus was more on the teachers than the students? Well, tremendous, uh, tremendous pressure on teachers. And it's interesting because the past decade, I think, has really been dominated by a perspective that uh, those who the strongest proponents of this, let's focus uh, very heavily on standards and accountability and um, less on poverty, actually coined the term no excuses to explain mm. this. And um, what they meant by no excuses was a really great teacher can do this. Um, there should be no excuses. We can't excuse bad schools um, by raising the issue of poverty. Now, unfortunately, in practical terms, what that meant was that everyone except for teachers was excused. Right. The number of kids in poverty, who, as you know, are much, much more than we've ever had before. Right. Um, and also for the impact of that poverty. So what it did was teachers have really always been on the front lines of trying to counter the effects of poverty. But now we stuck them on the front lines with no backup system. And mm. then we blame them. And that's really what this decade, unfortunately, and I think mostly inadvertently, has come to be. Wow. And then so all this, yeah. we're at a point where we can really, we have an opportunity now to change that. And that's really what you're trying to do with a broader, bolder approach, right? Yes. That, that is exactly what we're trying to do. Uh, we feel, and I think those of us across the education uh, space feel that the finally, after many years, um, the reauthorization of ESEA um, from No Child Left Behind to ESSA, or the Every Student Succeeds Act, provides us some really key opportunities to shift gears. Hmm. Um, it pulls back a lot on the emphasis on testing. Um, it doesn't put, attach as many consequences to testing, so there's not nearly as much time. There doesn't need to be as much time spent or pressure attached to tests. Um, teachers can focus on the other things that they've long been wanting to do. Um, but just as important, it recognizes that every layer of government has an important and relevant role to play in education, and we need to make sure that those are done correctly. So it gives states and districts and even individual schools more responsibility and authority to figure out how education works best. Um, it also, however, gives them a lot of responsibility. And so yeah. ESSA offers us some real opportunities, but it also presents some real challenges um, for school districts and states that maybe don't have the capacity or maybe don't have the political will to take these tests. Mm. Okay, this is good stuff. Let's let's take a break. We're speaking with Dr. Elaine Weiss, um, who is walking us through uh, a, a new movement, really, a, a broader, bolder approach to education. She is. Uh, you can find out more information about it, by the way, at boldapproach.org helping uh, to truly create a, it's a national com- campaign that's about evidence-based strategies to mitigate the impacts of poverty related disadvantages making it 
making it so that uh, we can take the real data, the real facts, the best practices, and implement them to take on some of the impact of poverty and what it's doing to our educational systems. Make it more more fair, more uh, elevating the opportunities for everybody to learn and to grow and to pull themselves out of poverty. We'll take a break. More with Dr. Elaine Weiss when we come back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today we're talking about the impact poverty has on uh, on the education of our youth and our children and amazing um, numbers that, that basically just validate the fact that low-income families struggle creating a healthy uh, learning environment for their children. And that has to be dealt with. And we can't just keep, you know, pushing more you know, standards and more uh, teachers have to perform or you're just not a good teacher. The reality is we have to deal with the fact that their families don't have some of the tools, the information, the food, the settings, the environment. And until we're dealing with the whole issue, we are probably never going to get a whole complete healthy solution. Joining us is Dr. Elaine Weiss from um, a broader, bolder approach to education. And uh, if you go to boldapproach.org, it is a national, um, it's a national basic campaign to help perpetuate a, a different approach, a different framework to education. Dr. Elaine Weiss, thank you so much for being with us. Great to be here. Talk to us again about what, uh, what your proposals are going to be. What are some of the things that we could be doing to make it broader more and bolder and make sure that we're we are tackling the poverty issues as we're also trying to educate people. So we see this as um, sort of three intertwined sets of policy changes that need to happen. Um, the first is we need to close these out of school opportunity gaps that we've been talking about because opportunity gaps are really the problems driving achievement gaps. So we need to ensure that all kids have access. Uh, and their parents have good access to early childhood experiences and supports, um, that they have health support, that they have nutrition support, as you've emphasized, and also that in the hours that they're out of school, they have enriching opportunities. Because I know that my kids have great opportunities, but it's expensive and challenging, and many kids don't. Um, we need to enhance in-school equity. Um, another problem is that we have a funding system in this country that really unfortunately exacerbates and compounds the disadvantages that kids growing up in poverty have rather than compensating for them. Uh, we need to focus on building strong teacher, teachers and leaders in schools rather than mostly weeding out the bad ones. Of course, it's important to weed out bad ones, but it should be mostly about growing, developing, and supporting them, and also providing incentives for them to serve in tougher schools, which right now, as we've discussed, we make actually look like a really bad deal. Huh, yeah. um, we need accountability systems that foster all of that, um, and we need all schools to be transparent about how they treat kids and how they're educating kids, whether they're charter schools or regular district public schools. And then finally, and I think this is really critical, we need to bridge some of the gaps between schools and communities, which means we need to be paying attention to issues like race and segregation, both in school and out of school, because they have a very big impact on how all kids learn, especially in this diverse world. We need our kids to have diverse schools that model for them. 
Um, and we need to ensure that community voices have a central place at the policy table. The policies need to be built on community needs and assets and guidance and not sold to them or put on them. Yeah. How do you – I mean, that's that's a huge list, even just the beginning of your list, which was about closing the gap of, uh, of out-of-school opportunities. I mean, just the concept of getting early childhood child care and maybe, uh, you know, meals for these families or for these children, just that, or after-school programs, every one of those, I'm sure you're getting pushback from other people, right? so much that we get pushback. I would actually say more that there's widespread agreement that these things are needed. They um, need to be done. Very, very little opposition today to the concept that if we don't get kids ready for kindergarten, they won't do well in kindergarten. I think there's practically universal, very broad bipartisan support. The problem is we don't do it. Okay. Um, so we need to shift our national focus and say just as very few parents in this country could afford a high-quality K-12 education if they had to do it on their own dime, very few, if any, can afford quality child care or quality pre-K. Um, we have to be doing that. We have to model, look at states. Um, and there are some great ones. There's Oklahoma, Vermont, um, New Jersey that are serving either all low-income kids or even all kids in very high-quality preschool. Uh, we're the wealthiest country in the world. This is not something we can't do. It's right. something that we're not doing. Is it? And is that political will? What is that? Why, why are we not doing it if, if the research is there, if it was succeeding before, where is, is – I guess that's when you get back down into the community support and get parents more involved, people more involved talking with their legislators? Part of it is definitely that. Um, part of it is, you know, the, the culture in this country has long been much more individualistic and family-oriented than societally oriented, and as a result, part of the – perception is that this is a family issue. Um, luckily for us, uh, or and unluckily, there's much more poverty than we used to have. So there's much more understanding that it's not possible for families to take this on. Right. Uh, but there's also a lot more research just showing that even for middle class families, it's out of reach. So I think as there's better data, as there's better research, um, the political will, I think, is coming together. We do have a lot more of this support than we had, but we need to make some really big jumps. Mm-hmm. Not little incremental steps, but saying every kid needs quality child care. It's, it also seems like because those in poverty don't have time, don't have the maybe the resources, the information to maybe even go make their own fight, right? So we're not hearing from the squeaky wheel necessarily. We just are experiencing it in the system. This is very true, and I would say that even those of us who are not living in poverty often don't have the time to fully right. educate ourselves on a wide range of issues and then push on them. It's, an, it's a full-time job for many people. Um, but we are seeing uh, one of the things that we're doing at BBA is we are exploring and highlighting cases of communities where this is happening. You know, from birth or from early childhood all the way through high school, the communities engaged, evidence-based poverty mitigation strategies are in place. After school is available and aligned with what goes on during the school day. Meals are built into everything as needed. Um, and so we see that this does happen. And when we encourage communities rather than squelching them to do this, and when we align policies with what they want, it can happen and be incredibly successful. Mm. And we really, really lift up every kid. I mean, in these places, they are narrowing achievement gaps. They're boosting achievement. Uh, they're seeing great high school graduation rates. And they're seeing really uh, enriched kids come out of this. 
That's powerful. What would you say, as we kind of wrap this up, we have about another minute or so, what would you say, what should we be doing as parents and those that want to become or be more involved, become part of the solution? I would say one of the things you could do is, as you just suggested, go to our website, boldapproach.org, have a look at the case studies of the places that we're looking at. And they're very diverse, from small rural places to large urban places that are doing this. Um, Feel free to contact the folks there. Look at some of the institutions that are involved. Look at the churches, uh, the businesses, the YMCAs, the Boys and Girls Clubs. Those places exist in all of your communities. Reach out to them. Find out how you can be involved. And when this issue comes up locally and at the state level, please weigh in and tell tell your representatives that we need these public investments. Yeah, love that. That and that's again get involved and get informed. That's what we try to do on the show. Dr. Elaine Weiss, thank you so much. And again, everybody go to boldapproach.org. It's a great uh, resource for you to learn more about really what does work, what helps. Thanks again, Dr. Weiss. We're going to have to take this on sometime, aren't we? When you think about how we will do this, you're going to pay and make this work with our children now, or you're going to pay and have to make it work later with an uneducated, more impoverished workforce. This has got to be dealt with. And again, we can we can cry the principle of accountability, but there's also this concept of fairness and ability. Um, I always teach where there's a will, there's a way to make this work. And we, we can find the will. Uh, we just have to find the way. The, the will might simply be understanding the, the problem in a more broad way. Instead of just thinking that people that want to get educated could get educated and people that don't, don't, it's not like that. Imagine waking up in a one-bedroom apartment with five of you there. Imagine having your dad, if you have one at home, already gone to work. He's left at five in the morning to go drive a truck or a bus and um, mom wakes you up and you're all frantically trying to hurry to get to school and mom's got to get to work and she basically wakes everybody up and you have to drop off your little sister at the neighbor who's a relative that will babysit your sister. You don't see her for the rest of the day, and then you have to run to school. And hopefully, as a 10-year-old, you remember to make something to eat. And hopefully what you grabbed was more than a Pop-Tart. But it probably isn't. And you get to school, and then you're supposed to remember your bag and your everything else. And did you get that paper signed by your parents so we can go to the – all we, and off we go. And then that child is going to sit there and hopefully have done their homework the night before with a house that's too busy, too loud, too noisy, without sometimes adult supervision, and they're supposed to make it? And then your big complaint is going to be, yeah, well, if they cared, that 10-year-old would just get her done. No. So they don't have the they don't have the health. They don't have – they, they're not being – their basic needs aren't being dealt with. If they have a learning disability, nobody will even know about it till many years into school. And that will only be found by a teacher or a school district. So it's not, it's not even, right? It's not an even playing field. And this is then what goes on. 
This is the pain. And it's not happening in just one, you know, apartment. It's happening in half of the kids attending public school. It's a big deal. So don't just think you can discount it. And when you sit there and you you might be, you know, doing a lot better and your kids are going to these public schools, but in the end, too, they still have half of their classmates that are suffering like this. So how do you fix it? Well, let's just let our politicians do it. That's what they're here for. Have you looked at your politicians lately? No, it's time to get involved. It's time to pick up your game and get involved and care and start understanding that problems are more complex than Republican or Democrat, black or white, rich or poor. Let's just integrate everybody. Just integrate. Well, great. We integrate, but we still have poverty issues and cultural issues. And, I mean, how many times would that – that would be fantastic to have better integration and have your children be able to see multicultural uh, families and multicultural experience. I think it would be fantastic. And it still won't solve the problem that some kids – half the kids there aren't eating. Imagine you going to work and not having a meal and not going to have a meal because you don't even know who's paying for lunch. It's tough. It's tough. So – Let's become part of the solution, right? I don't want to just sit there and complain about it, but we got to do something. And my goal is just to help you at least understand it's a bigger issue. It's a bigger issue. And our hearts are big enough to bring in the compassion to create some of these solutions. They're complicated. I get it. There's a lot of people fighting for the money behind all this. But it doesn't mean you can't have a heart and you can't care. You should care and get involved. We'll take a break, folks. Hour number two of the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. It's Friday, folks. You're almost there. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. It's Friday, folks. It's Good Friday for those that are keeping score. It's Good Friday. The beginning of Holy Week. No, Holy Week's been going on all week. I thought it was the beginning. No, there's been Holy Wednesday, and I just haven't brought those up. Why haven't you brought those up? Eh. Good Friday is the one people know about. Then leads into Easter. Holy Thursday would have been good. Those to people have. that have been, uh, I guess, celebrating Lent would be how you term yeah. it. Their their self imposed limiting on whatever behavior or habit or whatever they've they've decided to try to uh, take away of the take out of their life. That's going to end here in a couple of days. Mm. And depending be- what country you're in, you have Jesus's ascension to heaven, Mary's ascension to heaven. Right. And several of those. Germany, they brought up, Ben, and you lived there. Germany has laws prohibiting certain acts such as dancing and horse racing on yeah. Good Friday. I wasn't allowed to do those as a missionary anyway, so I didn't notice anything. Well, but... I have actually seen you do both. and uh, At the same time. Yeah, weird. Dancing, horse racing. Uh-huh. Um, but not this week. No. Not this week. I'm, I appreciate how you, how you pulled that out back down. Good job. Uh, it's also Waffle Day, mm. the day that you consume 
that breakfast, uh, sometimes dinner. A pancake with texture. Uh, uh, yeah, where which you made a great point. It holds the, the great – it has little containers. More syrup. That you can then fill. I remember when I'd eat my Eggos, I would fill up every waffle in – what do you call it? Hole? Yeah. Every waffle – Dent? Compartment. Yeah. Mm. That's good. They they make it makes them uh, like power packed with flavor. Mm. As you get more than you would on say than just a normal pancake. Yeah. They, you, you get done, it just sort of slides off the pancake. But with the waffle, it just it it, it grabs on and holds on to the extra flavor. Yeah. Um, have you you thought this through? Yeah. In the last couple of minutes. I um, I I haven't told you guys this. Okay. But True I, confessions from I, Dr. I, I have a new app. Okay. That's uh, – Is it a game? No, oh. no, no. Does it have to do with teasing? No. Okay. It is an app that helps me track my sleeping hmm. habits. After two weeks, you'll find out you don't get enough sleep and then you can't do anything to change it and then well, you move on. I already knew I didn't get enough oh, okay. sleep. That's why I bought the app. Okay. So this app, you hmm. turn it on and then you put it by your pillow and then – it tracks you all night. As you roll around and can't sleep. And as I've been and using it. And it sends it to the NSA. Oh, great. Now the NSA knows how I'm sleeping. We know the best time to arrest. My Matt wife Townsend. doesn't even know how I'm sleeping. Um, What's a, what information have you gleaned this from this This is app? what I've gleaned. Now, I'm disappointed because last night I had, for the first time in a long time during the week, I had an eight-hour night of sleeping. Eight mm. hours. And yet somehow it got turned off. In the middle of the night. I think. Did you roll over on it? I did. Because mm. I woke up and it was covered in drool. Oh, that's gross. But um, We should have a screen protector. <laughs> did it short circuit? Or? No. It just, okay. I don't know what happened. But this is what I've learned. Uh, I'm uh, My sleep for the, the two nights it was tracking, 80%, 89% efficient. Okay. have no idea what that means. Your sleep is 89% efficient. What does that mean? It means I am the healthiest human ever known to man. There you go. My first time I did it was 90%. Last night, I felt very efficient. Hmm. I didn't wake up half as much. I also didn't have a late meal. So I've been tracking when I eat because that impacts my sleep. And I, I've been tracking the beverage consumption because that seriously impacts how much I sleep. Because I got an old man bladder. <laughs> Thanks for explaining. I think we all got it. But it, it, here's the deal. I actually uh, sleep – I get sleep when I focus on it. Well, yeah. You're trying to impress the app. Yeah. You don't want to report and then get a bad grade. You're like, oh, And I've also – I've been tracking my food lately too. And when I track it, amazingly, I watch it more. Me too. So I, – I actually, I actually lose weight if I track my food. Yeah, I do too. Uh, on another note, I hate tracking my food. Oh, I hate it. But so. it, it's, it's my new – I'm going to make it a habit. And I, I'm going to figure out what happened last night because it didn't track. And hmm. it makes me mad because I would have nailed last night. And it won't let me just go enter it in. So if you get 100 percent, are you going to stay up later? Absolutely. That means party on the weekend. No. So then on the weekend, I'm going to sleep 10 hours because I never do that. I sleep better when I'm exhausted. Yeah, a lot of people do. So I stay up later and I already get up kind of early. I eat better when I'm starving. There you go. If I try to get eight hours of sleep, I can't. 
Yeah. It takes about three days for me to cycle off of whatever my normal schedule is and actually sleep for eight hours and feel rejuvenated when I wake up. I always you, feel like I'm just ruined. But you've, you've put your finger on an incredible principle. We do more when we have a scarcity. Yeah. Like people take better care of their hair when they hardly have any. They do. Do you know what I mean? Like Donald Trump takes such good care of his hair and he must – be lacking somewhere to take such care. I, I've noticed you've been combing your hair a little bit more. Have you late. noticed that? Yeah. Yeah. So got to get rid of that guy. I heard an interview yesterday. Yeah. Uh, ESPN television have, has the series called 30 for 30. Yeah. One of them was called the death of the USFL, which was a competitor to the National Football League. Right. The USFL was owned and operated by Donald Trump. That's right. So this guy went in and sat down with Trump and interviewed him for, I think, about an hour-long documentary about the USFL. This is probably on streaming services and stuff. You can go see this. Um, but they go in, and one of the uh, things they said is they, they walked in the door and turned on the cameras. They wanted to get everything mm-hmm. that was said. And one of the first things that was done was Trump's assistant came in, saw where they had set up the cameras in Donald Trump's office, and, told, and said, you're going to need to move all your cameras from the left to the right or vice versa, whichever way she said. Because the way they had it set up, they would have got the profile of Donald Trump from where the comb over begins and not from where the comb over ends. Oh, wow. Apparently from the side where the comb over begins, it's a horrible freak show. On the side where it ends, it looks okay. Does he have a comb over? It's not necessarily. What would you call it? I'd, I'd call it a comb back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Whatever whatever he's doing, one side is kind of where it starts, and it doesn't look that good. So they, so he adjust, they adjusted the cameras. Yeah, and the woman walked in, and instead of saying, would you consider doing this? She's like, no, you must move to the other side of the room. Wow. And they both went, the camera guy and then the guy doing the interview both looked at each other like, uh, okay. Couldn't you just rotate the the person? Well, and so when Donald Trump came in, the guy that was doing the interview was acting like he was testing for light and white yeah. balancing and stuff. And he took a camera and like did a full 360 around the head. And he's like, oh my gosh, <laughs> you get close in on that. And you have no idea. It's interesting. But everybody, how he accomplishes he that hairdo. People come test it. Is it real? Is it real? Yeah, it's all real. It's, it's all his hair. But what he does to it is it's but unspeakable. I think a lot of it is just that's how he is. Might be. He is, his hair is. He, it's an enigma. It's this thing you're not sure what it is or why he likes it that way, but it it's his. Yeah, it's and, not like he's you know got yeah. some uh, toupee or something going on. Right. But it's just that story was interesting. How yeah. even his like assistant knew exactly where cameras That's, were to be to make him look the best, to present the best, and so then the camera guy went and got a 360 just to see what was well, going on. Let me on. just tell you that same person <laughs> that's worried about how he looks on camera. Ought to be with him when he's tweeting. Yes, absolutely. You know what I mean? A little public perception. <laughs> just, a, just a little guide. Because we're the guide on the side. Try to give you great advice. Uh, today, by the way, because it's Friday, we're going to be talking to Rod Gustafson from ParentPreviews.com about some of the upcoming movies that are being released. One, of course, Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice. Dawn of Justice. And My Big Fat Greek Wedding 2. Yeah. Which what I'm wondering more more fun with Windex. Did the first did the wedding one divorce and now they have to get remarried? No, I think these are like the kids. Okay, good. Yeah. We'll find out. From Rod Gustafson. And the Batman V Superman movie yeah, yeah. also features Wonder Woman. And and rumor has it she steals the show. Does she have a lasso of truth? 
possibly. I'm not sure if they go that far. Does with she the, fly in a jet? And, I don't and, think and, they fall. She's more of the warrior princess than the what you saw on uh, like Linda Carter in the uh, 70s. Linda Carter was one of my first. She's wearing armor and has a sword, whereas Linda Carter just had her bracelets and the lasso. Did Wonder Woman have a sword? In the comics, she did. It seems brutal. They really kind of softened it up for TV. Yeah. Yeah. She also had the bulletproof bracelets. Yeah. They're, those are still there, but I'm not sure if they're used in the same way. I'll have to see this weekend. I'll report back. That's, a, that's fantastic. Well, let's get to the uh, headlines. Uh, Terry, what's going on around the world we need to pay attention to? Thanks, Matt. Ohio Governor John Kasich claimed that he is the only Republican presidential candidate who could defeat Hillary Clinton in the general election just might be true. A poll by Monmouth University released Thursday shows that out of, uh, out of the three remaining GOP contenders, Kasich is the only one who comes out ahead of Clinton in a hypothetical general election matchup. The Ohio governor snags 45% of the registered voters uh, nationwide to Clinton's 39%, leading with men, voters between the ages of 18 and 54, and white non-Hispanics, while Clinton has the edge with women and those who are non-white. Cruz and Trump trail Clinton by five points and Kasich 10 points. Kasich better be careful. Yeah. They're going to bring his wife into this. <laughs> And start the beat down. Careful. He, he, he often says, who do you want to be a presidential candidate? And who do you want to be a nominee? Because Republicans won't vote for him in a, in a primary type situation when they're trying to figure yeah. out who the nominee is. But when it goes to a national poll, he wins the poll. That's who they want. So he wins nationally, but he doesn't win while running and the And he would do really party. well. Uh, in a general election. He'd do a lot better in the general, wouldn't he? Right. Man! It's an in- interesting problem there. Uh, just three in ten Americans believe the election process is working as it should, based on current state of the 2016 cycle per a Gallup poll released today. 30% confidence in the process marks a 7% decline since January. The biggest surge of skepticism is found among Republicans who just two months ago had near-majority conviction that the campaign was working as it should. Democrats, by contrast, have actually become slightly more confident in the election process over time. By comparison, in January 08, two-thirds of Americans were happy with how the campaign process was functioning. Mm. I could see that becoming worse as we continue to drag wives and photos online and things of that nature into the discussion. Here we go. The uh, Pinkowski family received devastating news Friday. Brother and sister Alexander and Sasha Pinkowski were among those killed during Tuesday's terrorist attacks in Brussels. Bel- uh, Belgian authorities and the Dutch embassy told the family that their remains were positively identified. The father of Alexander's fiance issued a statement on behalf of the Pinkowski family saying that they are grateful to have closure on this tragic situation. Alexander and Sasha were reportedly in the Delta Airlines ticket line preparing to check to, uh, into their flight to New York City when the bombs went off. Scary. The uh, Alexander was on the phone with his mother when the line went dead. Oh, can you imagine being a parent of that? Oh, Rough. And Delta Airlines, that's... Bringing it home. Wow. North Koreans are being mobilized in mass to boost production and demonstrate their loyalty to leader Kim Jong-un in a 70-day campaign aimed at wiping out indolence and slackness. Oh, boy. There goes Ben. To show their loyalty, workers are putting in extra hours to boost production and everything from coal mining to work at fisheries. Bright red flags and propaganda posters have gone up around the country to emphasize the importance of meeting or exceeding production production targets, the AP reports. It says, our work has become more difficult than usual, says a supervisor of uh, a, uh, a fishery in the area. There is no distinction between the start and end time of work, and we sleep at the workplace. 
The loyalty campaign was called to rally the nation ahead of a major ruling party Congress scheduled for May. Wow. There's no end and start to the day. It all just blends together. It's what, yeah. We make, we create the day. <laughs> so North Korea mobilizing. You know what, Ben? You're so slackness. lucky you don't live in North Korea. You would be dead. I'm pretty sure we'd all be dead. Yeah, probably. Good point. It is radio. Um, an archaeologist has confirmed that William Shakespeare's skull is missing from his grave. Uh-oh. Researchers found disturbances in the area around where the bard was buried and with radar scans of the area determined that part of his remains were possibly taken. I heard a re- this one saying it's definitely gone. I heard a report this morning on the BBC. They're saying that the radar signatures they use don't – it's not like a, a sonogram when uh, you know someone's pregnant. Yeah. When they go in, you can kind of it's you can kind of see where something should be. It's not there, so you can make an educated guess. They're guessing somebody, that Shakespeare's skull is somebody gone. Somebody done took Bill's skull, and they're not sure. That's sad. They're not sure why it would have taken it, and they don't know when it was taken. Oh, it's on the black market. It somewhere. could be on somebody's shelf somewhere. Kim Jong holding a candle because you see that in like haunted <laughs> houses, right? I love your candle holder. Thanks. It's Shakespeare's. It's like some evil villain. In their lair is Shakespeare's skull as a candle holder. Hi. Well, folks, we're going to take a break. When we come back, uh, because it's Friday, we're going to set you up for a great weekend. We will be speaking with Rod Gustafson at ParentPreviews.com, talking about the new Batman versus Superman Dawn of Justice movie and My Big Fat Greek Wedding. We'll also come back and talk with some of our producers and – That's always a fun experience to find out what our producers have been doing behind the scenes. Um, Interesting topic coming up as well. And then we'll go visit our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation, find out what they're doing on their show at the top of the hour. We're winding it up. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Because it's Friday, you know, we got to set you up for a good weekend. And uh, there are some movies that are coming out that need to be reviewed. So we like to go to Rod Gustafson from ParentPreviews.com. He's a film critic. And on the site, they have many uh, critics who are there specializing in reviewing movies and media from a parent's perspective. Rod, welcome to the show. How are you, my friend? I'm doing very well. Thank you for asking. And happy Good Friday. I, you were just telling me that in Canada, they, they, they get a day off. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're paying me double time today, buddy. So I know. Man. Let's talk real slow. Let's do a couple of hours of movie reviews. <laughs> That's right. And you'll get holiday pay for this one. Um, so coming out uh, this weekend, it seems like a pretty big uh, release, Batman versus Superman. It was so big that my children ended up uh, going to a later movie, and it's a school night. That's how big Ooh. of a deal this is. Was it worth that, it? Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> Darn it. Kids, what did they say? Did You, you know what? I didn't stay up. I had to go to bed early because that's my new regimen. Yeah, exactly. You know, this movie had so much buzz and so much hype and so much, wow, you got to go see it. 
And uh, you always get a little concerned when that happens. So Batman versus Superman, let me just lay it out for some people who are like me and really know nothing about comics. I'll tell you everything I know about comics. This is part of the DC Comics books, okay? That's Batman, excuse me, Batman and Superman belong to the the DC group. And we have been very accustomed to seeing characters from the Marvel group. Okay. Has licensed most of the Marvel group. Guys like Deadpool, who are a little bit raunchier, um, other studios. That was Fox's that had that one. <clears throat> Sorry, the bad morning in my throat. But these guys are from DC Comics, and DC Comics tend to be just a little bit darker. And we've seen that with Batman, especially right. in some of the Batman movies that have come out, not so much with Superman. So that kind of gives you the idea. And the reason I'm I'm giving you this little history in comics is... We are, especially after the success of Deadpool, which was an R-rated movie, we are going to start to see darker comic book movies. They're not all going to be these happy little stories that, you know, I mean, we still have violence in virtually every comic film, but the Disney ones tend to be a little bit more family friendly. Hmm. So now hmm. that I've set you up with that very way too long history, <laughs> Batman versus Superman is a more darker film. It's a more violent film than what some of those other comic book movies that you may have seen. Now, the whole film is really a setup for the big for the big boxing match between these two guys. And Matt, it is two and a half hours long. Wow. And get this, the director has already said that I have shot enough stuff that I'm going to add another half hour to the movie when it comes out on home video. He wants to make the fighting scenes longer. He also said that the MPAA, in order to get the PG-13 rating, they, he had to cut some of these scenes because otherwise it would have gone R. So another oh. warning to parents, when this movie comes out on home video, it's not going to be the same film. There's going to be even more violence in it than what's in the, the- theatrical version. And the theatrical version is fairly violent, um, not as violent as some other superhero movies I've seen, like Batman's The Dark Knight a few years ago really set the bar for me for probably the most violent PG-13 movie I've seen. So this one's not up there, but still a big warning to parents about mm. this. Wow. So, That's yeah. a lot of um, – I mean it, it does. They, some of those Batman ones were so much darker. And I wonder I, – now I really want to talk to my kids, my <laughs> teens, and find out what did you think. But you what, – what rating did you give that? What grade, I mean, did you give that? We gave, we gave the B-. You know, Matt, it's certainly – this is not a movie that eight-year-olds should be going to. But if you have older teens, you know, 15, 16 and over, maybe even 14, depending how comfortable you are with the violence – you're probably okay with this film. It, you know, relative to many other PG-13 movies, it's it's probably in the upper middle for, okay. for violence. Very few profanities in this film. Um, the only downside was we hear um, we hear the term of Jesus Christ being used three times as, as expletives, which is becoming unusual in Hollywood movies. Hmm. I've noticed over the past decade they're becoming a little more sensitive to that, which I I appreciate. But in this movie, not so much. But what's interesting is the Superman character often is used as a, as a simile of Jesus Christ. And, and, it, and in this movie, that is the case again, which is what we saw. By the way, I should mention, I've done a poor job telling you what happens in this movie. This movie is really a sequel to The Man of Steel, which was a Superman movie from two years ago. Okay, yeah. It picks up where that one left off. And there was a lot of Christ-like um, allegory in Man of Steel, and it continues in this movie as well, which is interesting. If you're if you're a Christian, yeah, a couple of 
from that background, that that part of it is interesting. Well, and how weird a Good Friday release. I mean, it's around Good Friday, too. It's just uh, interesting. And I don't think that's a coincidence. I think that the marketing guys were on top of that one as hmm. well. And really quickly, give us a, a rundown on the on my big fat Greek wedding too. Yeah, it's kind of hard for some of us to remember the first my big yeah. fat Greek wedding. That takes us back to two thousand and two. This one really is a, a Greek party on wheels. It's very fun. The biggest concern for parents in this film is going to be sexual innuendo in the first half of the movie. It's all verbal innuendo. There is one little short scene of a married couple who uh, there. This picks up with the same couple who got married in the first movie, okay. Tula and Ian, and now they're kind of in their midlife. They've got a teenage daughter who's off to college, and her parents have discovered they aren't really married. Their wedding certificate was never signed by the priest. <laughs> That's why we're going to have another wedding. Anyhow, the two, the, the couple in the middle, they are looking for just some way that they can get a few moments together, and so there's a tiny little moment of uh, sexuality between the two of them, between a married couple, which is unusual in movies. Yeah. It's pretty brief, no nudity or anything. So, so those are really your biggest concerns in this film. This film, The Good Parts, it celebrates family in a huge way. It celebrates marriage in a big way and, and the faith and religion that goes along with that as well. Those good are all stuff. the good parts. And uh, what grade did you give them? Be great in my big fat wedding, too. Again, this is probably a great mom and dad date movie. I don't know that many kids are going to want to go see this, but I think a lot of parents will enjoy That's it. That's great. And plus, it'll, yeah, just the, it'll just bring back the good old days, huh? the nostalgia. Yeah. Yeah, it really does. The first one did so well, and uh, I hope this one does too. The critics aren't liking either of these movies that we're talking about today, but the audiences are liking them. That's what the test scores are showing. So yeah. it should be interesting seeing what the box office looks like. Rod, great stuff as usual. Appreciate your insight. Again, everybody, go to parentpreviews.com where you can read the entire review, plus great dialogue and discussion notes and topics that you can look at as well. Uh, they're doing great work there with Rod and his people at parentpreviews.com. Folks, we'll take a break, come back, be visiting with our producers. Uh, Two of our producers are going to be taking on all of these online assessments. Have you ever seen one where you answer a bunch of questions and then it'll tell you what Star Wars figure you are or what type of animal you are? We're going to be uh, debunking some of those. Stick with us, folks. This is The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. In studio, two of the greatest producers this week from the Matt Townsend Show in the Meet the Producer segment, our good friends Liz Miller joining us and Carol Darling. I kind of want that on a plaque. Best producers this This week. week. Like dot, dot, dot. You are the best producers from the Matt Townsend Show that we've had on the show this week. Thank you. From because be, behind the scenes we have thousands of producers, <laughs> little minions, and you two are the thousands. two that made it on the show this week. And you're here to teach me every week. You're you're here to bring me new light, to teach me new information that I didn't know about. Exactly. And this week we're here to answer the questions of who are you, why are you here, <laughs> wow. and can we pinpoint your accent based on these six questions? Wow. <laughs> What is that? Science. It is science, science rules. It sounds like weird science. <laughs> You're going to pinpoint my my accent? 
by just asking a few questions? Well, we aren't, but okay. a lot of people do this. So there's just this um, trend of personality quizzes going on these days. And we found it interesting that yeah. that we don't know who we are. We don't know which Disney <laughs> oh, princess we are. I've we need seen a these. test to and tell we need us these. who we are. Like somebody will put, post it on Facebook and all of a sudden, do you want to find out what vegetable you are? And exactly. I do every time. Oh, I know I what like vegetable you are. But... <laughs> You're an eggplant. I thought it was kale. You are kale. Yeah. What uh, the kale? <laughs> Drives me crazy how much kale you eat. I know. <laughs> Just crunching kale all day. <laughs> By the name, her it's name true, is Kaylee. That's true, man. Destined, predestined. <laughs> so is so you actually went? I heard and. I mean, a lot of the producers were working this week, mm-hmm. <laughs> and you guys just went instead and took every quiz online every to figure week, out who you are. All week. That's all we, we have We sacrificed done. our work for this. We just... We didn't really even eat. That dedicated. Wow. Wow. Uh, okay, so tell me what you learned. Okay, so I was looking up an article on the Huffington Post just to give some background as to why this is important. And they said that the theory of narrative psychology is that humans make sense of their lives by organizing events into stories that fit together and make kind of our own biographies. So we're trying to create our own story. And as we post these quizzes, we're trying to validate it with other people. Like, do you really see me as Snow White? Or am I perhaps the evil queen? I don't know. I feel like I'm this person, but what if I'm not? And we're seeking this validation. Hold on. So um, that's weird. (laughs) Yes, it is. (laughs) Like, wouldn't you rather just seek your own validation for being who you just are? This is who we are. But you're yeah. not Snow White. But like Snow White, I think part of it too is she has a fully developed narrative. Is you know her beginning, middle, and end. But for you, you don't know your end. You're just kind of hold on clunking along. But so you Snow can White like pick somebody and you're like, this is out. my future. This is what I have. And yeah, it's something you can hold on to. Uh, but Snow White's like hanging out with a bunch of like men. Doesn't that sound great? <laughs> <laughs> well, for some, <laughs> but there were seven men, right? Yep. A lot to choose from. <laughs> and they were kind of socially rejected. They lived in not a little... Not amongst themselves. And at that point, they're the majority, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I think this explains... I want to take that quiz again. I think I want to be Snow White. <laughs> so, so did you already take the quiz? Do you know if you are Snow White? Yeah, we took a bunch of quizzes. We found out what princess we are, what Star Wars character we are. We, we already knew our Harry Potter houses because we're kind of freaks like that. We're we awesome. found out what cookie we are and then what the emoji. What kind of cookie are you? I am a coconut macaroon. Totally. <laughs> right? Did you can, you see, can see it. Well, the coconut part <laughs> Just, for sure. Well, I always smell like coconut. Yeah. That's so weird. Yeah. But and what, what kind of cookie were you, Lizzie? I was double chocolate cookie, Ooh. which just looks gooey. Yeah. That's good. Gooey. That's a good That's a good cookie. <laughs> no, but Liz and I were like taking these and we're like, yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Like, like oh, okay, I can I see that. I found out I was Kylo Ren and from Slytherin <laughs> and she's um, she's Ray and from Gryffindor. <laughs> so you're Ray. Who's Ray? Uh, she awakens. Okay. She's the girl and with And Kylo like, the three Ren bones. is the new... Dark force. But is he really? Is right. he really? He's just, I think he's misunderstood. It's just this battle with good and evil inside him. Which well, is the constant battle in my life. You know, it's true. Wow, Carol. But you can do it. Carol or Kylo Ren. <laughs> they both go together. Yeah. Okay. So um, so you're just trying to basically create your own, uh, your own identity, your own narrative. Through these tests. Yeah, <sighs> by identifying with it. I am Ray and Belle and a Gryffindor and a double chocolate chip cookie and the dancing twins emoji. And I feel like that will lead me 
yeah. down the path. Where, where every decision for me is based off of the fact that I'm Jasmine, Kylo Ren from Slytherin, a coconut macaroon, and the monkey emoji. Totally. We should. We kind of. That nailed we you. Should have li- we should live this next week that way. But we you, should. We should. Matt, okay. You should join I, us in this. Adventure. Just as a just as a as a highly trained professional. <laughs> um, I don't think any of this is going to help you. Uh, okay. Now you're you're just not a believer because you haven't done it yet. And that's the next step. Yep. We're going to have you take a test. Okay. What am I going to do? So we're um, going to find out my identity let's so find... that I can then create a narrative around it. Exactly. Indeed. Okay. This will be – So now you'll know how to live your life. Fun. All the rest because of before, it. Because before, you've been doing it wrong. <laughs> no, sorry. <laughs> Apparently, Without I've this been knowledge, doing it wrong. This is the greatest model and example for you now. This you is can a turning point. decisions. Okay. So so I, I, I'm i going to take the Star Wars one. Is that the one I'm going to take? Yeah. yeah. No, this is the, like the classic good. one. This is the classic Star Wars. Listening. Classic right. Star Wars. So none of the new characters in there. Um, okay. So, so I don't understand. Oh, okay. So you – So first question, uh, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, pick a Bond film. I just pick any Bond film. Well, well, the one that the speaks options? to you. Well, they all speak to me. To, mm. to your heart. Listen to your heart when it's calling mm. for you. Get some techno. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Should be boxing going in the background. to go with. I took a personality one. test. Okay. I'm no good at that. Oh, really? I told <laughs> Next you one. Be pick boxing. a social network that speaks to me. Yeah. Which one speaks to you? Just the one that makes me the most money. If you know what I'm saying. <laughs> Uh, what was your favorite subject in school? Uh, none of the above. <laughs> well, that's unfortunate. Clearly, you have to change. Boy. Maybe she should take the quiz first that tells him what subject he's best at. Oh, yeah, and then you could use that yeah. one. Pick a cool color. Ooh. Hmm. Roy G. Biv. <laughs> I feel like gray kind of gets... I love black. Really? Black's my favorite color. Pick a Beatles song. So all of these there things are go. somehow bringing me to better know... Don't question This is the awakening science. the force in you. <laughs> Okay. Don't think too much into it. Oh, there we go. Just believe. Flap those wings. What is your f- ideal first date? Going for a drive, a nice walk through the woods, watching a foreign language film. I don't know what I'd pick. Shooting womp rats in shooting your T-16. Womp rats. <laughs> 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 oh, this is great. I'm so wait, wait, what do we think Matt's gonna be? Picking like? a breaking <sighs> bad character. Since we could also kind of create his narrative. That's true. I mean it is kind of like a crowdsourcing. I think he's thinking. gonna get Princess Leia. Princess Holy Leia. Holy cow! It nailed oh it. It nailed it. Let's, who are you? Who are you? Really? I'm Luke Skywalker. Oh Whoa. wow. <clears throat> Dude. Those are some big shoes to fill. Yeah. See, now you have like you have like this pressure and this expectation to live up to. Oh, well, yeah. Do you think you can do it? So now I'm not only one of the hottest guys in the series, <laughs> but I also kissed my sister. And you live on a rock in the middle of nowhere for a number of years. But you did not age well. No, he <laughs> aged all right. You just got to watch out for like your left wow. hand or your right hand. Which one does he get? You're asking the wrong person. Well, let's ask Terry. I'm sure Terry knows. <laughs> I did kill my dad, too. Terry just brought that up. That's kind of rude. That doesn't feel right. Yeah, I, okay. So now that I know this, I write a narrative for the rest of my life? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think this is a bunch of hooey. <laughs> That's a long... Maybe you just haven't done it enough. Well, apparently you well, guys have done it too much. You spent uh, days doing this. <laughs> we didn't even tell you half of the results Yeah, of the tests that we others. took. Like it told you when you're going to be in your next relationship. And what or cat you are. No, what, what personality you have basically wow. yeah. you choose. Yeah. You know what? I think this explains a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, Terry, we can't have them work together anymore. (laughs) 
well, Liz is graduating, and I may have to quit if that happens. <laughs> so see, Liz, Liz is graduating because she didn't, she hadn't met you yet. Well, I'm, I'm graduating because I, I got Bell. Yeah, Bell got Bell's a reader. <laughs> Bell I'm, just, is a I'm reader. just looking for a guy to take me on a ride. So, so <laughs> it's, on a oh man! Carpet. So it seems like overall, we just we 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 all agree that this is the biggest waste of space and time, and that we shouldn't forward these on ever. I Do don't think that, that was the I conclusion. I don't know I, if that's the conclusion we drew. Yeah, I think, I think okay. they're important and they help us to become more well-rounded and self-aware well, individuals. That's, yeah, that's good. Okay. I'm going to feel like I'm eating myself every time I eat a double chocolate chip now. <laughs> I can't eat cookies, but I'll know what I'm missing myself. <laughs> well, we appreciate you, Double Fudge, and you, Miss Macaroon. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. For your great work. You Liz Miller and Carol... Uh, Kylie, what's what's that guy's name? Kylo. Kylo. Ren. Ren. <laughs> Thank you. Darling. Darling. AKA Kaylee Bebop Danes. <laughs> Interesting. Folks, I'm sorry you had to go through that, but we're trying to teach you things that uh, you need to know. And one thing we now know, don't take any of those online profiles. <laughs> Just be you. Just be you. And uh, if you would like to... If you'd like to date one of our wonderful producers, give us Always a call one eight five five chat BYU, and uh, you someone can, call you so can you can stop them. doing this. Yeah, please, that'd be great. Thank we'll uh, take a break, folks. Come back, visit our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, uh, we we were going to go visit our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. I just said that earlier. And then they got all into another interview. But they they told me last week that they weren't going to be able to talk to us today. They told you the producer. Yeah, and I forgot. Who produces this show. And they texted me apparently 15 minutes ago. To reconfirm. And I forgot again. So, by the way, they're, uh, they're busy right now. Somebody, you've got big timed. Somebody needs to um, remember things. I'll find someone to do that. Maybe it has something to do with your diet. What do you mean? Well, you eat a lot of junk food. Not really. That's talking to Ben. Oh, no! You. you I just assumed you were talking to me. You're a very healthy eater. You looked at me and said, "You." So assumed it was me. So we always like to um, talk about uh, the the food. From the ballparks, because this is where they all come out with their brand new crazy ballpark food selections. They're, they're the definition of calorie bombs. Mm-hmm. Uh, they will likely make you sick if you finish them. And that's the point. There's yeah. supposed to be some sort of an attraction to come to the stadium and eat this monstrosity right. they created. And this is gross. Will, will you make Ben quit eating? Please stop. This is like... Please stop. He He is the noisiest eater. Have you noticed that? Yeah. Very loud, very loud. Do you know what he was eating right there? A steak? No. Oh. One potato chip. <laughs> That's gross. Did you even hear a crunch? No. <laughs> Seriously. I eat potato chips a little bit differently than other people. I would guess so. Apparently. Um, let me give you some food. I want to know if you if this is something you'd want at a ballpark. Uh, have you ever had the Punisher? No. It's one of my favorites. Okay. The Punisher is at the Braves uh, Park. Uh, rib meat, mm. 
slathered in monster energy drink infused barbecue sauce. Right? So just it gives you energy. Do, do they just grab some random things and yeah. infuse? Is that the new term? You can now infuse coating? stuff. Yeah. Okay. Infusion. And it's like a pulled pork sandwich. Yep. You just, yeah. It's a pulled pork sandwich, sandwich infused with high octane yeah. uh, energy drink. Okay. Doesn't that sound good? I don't know. A lot of those energy drinks kind of taste like a mix of cough syrup and hairspray. Texas has a really cool shish kebab, a 12-inch skewer with fresh donut holes Mm. and fried chicken drizzled with sweet and spicy buffalo sauce. Oh. Doesn't that sound good? Artery-clogging goodness. Oh. And then you just just take the skewer off Mm. and you can can just, just eat everyone one at a time. I guess. That's like chick. That's like chicken and waffles. It is. I it's, mean, because today's waffle day. Today's waffle day. So, so we're trying to honor. Grab a waffle. The Diamondbacks have a cheeseburger dog. Okay. It's a hot dog made of char grilled hamburger, and they've been ground up and mixed with chopped smoked bacon, green onion, cheddar cheese. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. Then they are breaded with milk and flour, deep fried, and served on a hot dog bun. Mm, and a secret sauce. It's just a hot dog or a no. sausage or whatever you want to it's, call it, but it looks appetizing. It's a char-grilled hamburger. Well, it's a hamburger in it's a, a hot dog shape. a cheeseburger dog. Yeah, baby. Doesn't that look good? Kansas City Royals will be featuring the Champions Alley Dog, which is a bacon-wrapped, tempura-battered hot dog with sweet slaw and chipotle ketchup on a pretzel bun. Hmm. That sounds so good. Not as good as the tater tot chop. Mm. Tater tot chop, which is basically tater tots like smothered in cheese and uh, onions and everything that makes something good. Plus, it's included a Coca-Cola infused ketchup. What does that mean? Coca-Cola? Is it watery? How do you infuse ketchup? You infuse it. You inject it with and you fuse it to the biochemical... So, nature of the ketchup. So you don't know. Exactly. You have no idea what that means. Okay. Anytime, though, anybody said, hey, Matt, do you want to be infused? Mm. I always say no. Okay. Rules it, to live by. It sounds very painful. <laughs> so apparently they're now infusing things. I think it's where they make it – I guess they let it soak and, and, and maybe through pressure cooker infuse it into the meat. Okay. I don't know. Maybe. I just I, – I don't know how you infuse Maybe, Coke into ketchup. I think it, it – okay. So it's technical. Okay. It's, it's <laughs> just what we, it's what we do in the kitchen. Have you ever heard of a flux capacitor? Yes, I have. I've seen one in action before. So you do you use that. It was on a movie, but – No, this is, this is the kitchen version. The kitchen flux uh-huh. capacitor? Uh-huh. Okay. It's by, it's by Whirlpool. Is it connected to Mr. Fusion? Uh-huh. Okay. Yep. All right. You can also say uh, hello to this one makes my heart race. The Atlanta Braves, ha- Braves have burgeriza, which I used to have a burgeriza. Okay. You know, and t- then a little penicillin got right rid of it. <laughs> burgeriza <laughs> is where you have a burger. Condition of the pancreas, right? Between two pizzas. So it's a pizza pie. Yeah. And two and a burger in between. So it's about a. It's a regular size plate, maybe two eight or nine inch pizzas. Yeah, it looks like yeah, about a per, a personal size 
I guess you'd call it a personal size. Yeah, pizza. maybe that's a six inch, and then it's not a medium or no. something. Not even a small. So you're but, really going to have two pizzas and yeah. and a hamburger and a burger the size. Now, if you if you think of a, a, a hamburger patty that's even like six inches in diameter, mm-hmm. that is a large that's, large sandwich you're no, eating. That's there. huge. That's and huge. you're going to waddle out the door. You're not going to walk. I have a feeling you're actually going to be um, taken out the door in an ambulance and on a gurney. Oof. If you're lucky. You don't need breakfast in the morning. You're okay. I feel like it'd be worth it, though. No, no doubt. I'm not, oh, yeah. yeah, totally. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you're going to die. And you can't tell anybody. This is the one. Because it'll get back to someone who right. cares. Right. And they'll, they'll shame you into this not is, eating for three days. This is the moneymaker right here. You think so? The think pirates, this is the winner? This is the one. The Pirates are going to sell... Pittsburgh Pirates. The Pittsburgh Pirates are going to be selling a mac and cheese Cracker Jack hot dog combo where your hot dog is... It's not even really like on a bun. It's like on a pita bun. Yeah. Well, I think they went to the pita because you needed more real estate to hold all the ingredients. Or maybe just because they're more health conscious. Might be. They're probably just trying to... Low carb. Low, lower the, the Incorporating carb other cultures into their food. That's, that's exactly that right. No, that's a middle, middle Eastern answer. So this one is the Middle Eastern um, Cracker Jack Bomb, oh. which is a hot dog on a pita bread with uh, mac and cheese, which is – that's all American right there. Right. And then Cracker Jack. You just spread American. Cracker Jacks on there. The pita is really more just to celebrate – the I military really, away. The, I, the, I the really, melting part. Of, the really, melting pot of the. United I really States. think it's there simply to hold more ingredients. Yeah, the hot probably. dog bun was the limiter on the on the the, the dish. If you put the pita, you could get more food in there. Well, and not to nitpick it, but you've got probably a twelve a foot long dog. Yeah. That's and it's hanging out about three inches on both sides. Yeah. So it doesn't quite fit. But you now that just now you know what your first bite will. But be. it's a nice foundation for the yeah. mac and cheese covered Could, in cracker jacks will inevitably choke uh, on because you're eating popcorn while you have a hot dog. You know, if you're going to die, you may as well do it at a ballpark. And the neat thing about all of these ballparks, they all have some way to kill you. They do. It's really their point. That's mm. how you enjoy baseball is you overeat. America is incredible. <laughs> we have, we not only will kill you, you will pay us to kill you. One hot dog at a time. The neat thing about the Cracker Jack dog is there's a prize inside. They don't take the prize out of the nope. Cracker Jacks before nope. they... Wow. You have to find it. I think it's actually infused into the yeah, hot dog. The prize. <laughs> they put it in a pressure cooker, right? That's what we just How talked did about. You get that, how did you get that scratch-off tattoo into <laughs> the hot dog? <laughs> we infused it. Wow, it's fantastic. It's so sad. On a lighter note, for those of you that want to be more health conscious and just live a healthier, happier life, uh, this to me has Terry written all over it. What? Um, you always it, blame me it for It sounds this. too good to be true. Okay. but there Kind is of n- like the Nick- Nicholas Sparks movies. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Like I understand where you're coming from. There is now a service in Australia that will deliver you a constant supply of puppies free of charge. Free puppies forever will also cover the cost of the dog food, the vet care, even kennel costs. Hmm. It's part of a vision of Australia's um, uh, of a program which trains seeing eye dogs for the visually impaired. Of course, there's a catch. Once your pup reaches its first birthday and it's old enough to begin its training as a seeing eye dog, you have to kind of give it up. 
Right. You know, but that's good because you're helping people that have needs. Yes. And you're giving these dogs a good start to their life. Yep. And then they're taken away to go be trained so right. they can go assist. And, and then, so you get a dog for like a year. Well, it's like you rented a car and you're, you're, you lease a car. and you're it's, like it's, it's almost like having a new car. Right. Except your new car doesn't pee all over your floor. Right. But it's okay. It's a puppy. It's the cutest puppy. And he'll, he'll come in and be all fluffy and a fluffy soft puppy. and you'll love that. Isn't that crazy? So when you think about it, I, I mean, mean folks, then you get tired of him and get a new one. There's a there's a very important point here. I mean, I get you're, you're doing it for service, so you must love dogs. But these are untrained animals. Yes. And you're going to have them for a year, training them so that they don't go to the bathroom all over your house or chew up all your furniture, and they'll they'll keep you up at night. Hmm. And then, right when they're to the point that they're trained and truly lovable, I mean, not lovable. You've always loved them, but they can actually go to the bathroom on their own. Right. Then you give them away. I think that's in the fine print area of the contract. And then they bring you another one. You got to start the cycle over again. It it seems like you'd want to keep one. But you can't. You signed up for this program and they're going to take it off to be trained. It's not your dog. You're just sort of housing it for a while. Well, those are heroes. Anybody that would do that, they're a hero. And we always like to end the show with another hero. Here's the hero story of the day wrapping up the week, folks. It's a high school team that saves tenants from an apartment fire. Check this out. Fire officials say that Sitka High School basketball team helped residents escape from a burning Anchorage apartment building that was heavily damaged. The Alaska Dispatch News reports that no injuries were reported in the Wednesday fire, but the Anchorage Fire Department says 25 people have been displaced. The boys' basketball team had been in Anchorage for a state tournament and were on their way to breakfast when Coach Andy Lee says one of the players spotted the blaze. Lee says the players banged on the apartment doors and windows to alert those inside and helped escort nearly a dozen people to safety. Firefighters arrived and were able to extinguish the flames about 45 minutes after the team uh, called for help. The cause of the fire remains under investigation. CBS Anchorage affiliate KTVA-TV reports the blaze was initially a two-arm fire because of the wind pushing on the flames and uh, the fire marshal, you know, that was there, they were able to contain the fire. But if it wasn't for that team from the Sitka High School basketball team, people maybe uh, could have had more injuries, could have been a, a tragedy. So we appreciate and celebrate Sitka High School basketball team. See? And this is why we need to play sports. There's always a hero. There's always a hero there. Folks, that's the show. That is also your week as far as we are concerned. We appreciate you coming along for the ride. We couldn't do the show without you. And remember, we uh, can be found in a variety of places. One, you can go to my Facebook page. Just look up Matt Townsend. Get on my Facebook page. Get all the latest updates. You can also go to uh, uh, iTunes to tune in. You can go to our BYU radio app and download all of our latest shows and forward those on to a friend. You can also look us up on Twitter at at Matt Townsend Show. At ha- what is it? Ha- at Matt Townsend Show. Is On that Twitter? It? Yeah. Dr. Matt Show. Oh, oh, Dr. At Matt Show. Dr. Matt Show. Yeah. That's my show. <laughs> Don't use Twitter much. Hey, uh, we'll take, that's it. Until tomorrow, actually until Monday, make it a great weekend, folks. Take care.